Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most terrifying show on the planet Earth. Professor Screwey's eccentric circus! You're listening to That's Pretty Dark. The podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children and still haunts us as adults. So grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders and under our beds and in our closets. And together we'll realize, whoa, that's pretty that's dark. Pretty dark. Face achy. Face That's achy. the kind of sick. That, that could be like a bad company situation where it's like face achy off face achy by face achy. <laughs> Please no. Oh, God. But I can see writing a song about it because it feels like hell. Yeah. No, I can't do words either. No, my, my yeah. ADHD We're discussing so how we like to write our notes. You know, it's always a creative process. And lately, I've just been going to the Lo-Fi Beats uh, playlist on Spotify. Heck yeah. And I'm going to tell you guys, I'm going to be honest, I used to hate... <laughs> any type of lo-fi music i'm a big lyrics person really oh you are a lyrics person. yeah i'm just like a major major lyrics person not that i don't appreciate an instrumental but if i'm gonna listen to music that's not what i'm gonna go to right but lately <laughs> when i've been writing my adhd has like fully arrived in my life now like i'm convinced it wasn't this bad when i was younger <laughs> mine wasn't i turned 30 and it was like here's all of these symptoms to deal mm-hmm. with um, mm-hmm. you're a slave to your ADHD now. How are we the same person, actually? We are. We always have been. It's true. <laughs> we just process it differently. Nothing's ever changed. So I can't listen to music with lyrics while I write anymore, which is kind of depressing, but the Lo-Fi Beats playlist has been saving me. And I described something as face achy a moment ago, and Christian said that's the perfect title for a Lo-Fi song. Mm-hmm. And I'd have to agree. Now that I'm paying attention to that, 100%. That's actually how I used to decide bands I liked back in college. If I could do a night's worth of homework, like all the reading I had to do, all the research and the papers I had to write, if it just got me in the zone, uh-huh. I then knew you, it was a good you knew album. You, weren't, you didn't have to pay attention to it, which is the exact opposite of what most recording artists hope when they put out music. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. But that's how I discovered all my like favorite bands, like Interpol even. Really? I mean, you know how much they mean to me. Yeah. That's one of the bands I discovered in college because I could just put them on and then not hear a single thing. Which is crazy. Because, yeah, yeah, I used to determine my favorite bands based on exactly the opposite. I had how to know every word. How much you couldn't, yeah, forget How much I couldn't lyrics. ignore it, basically. Because I wanted it to consume me at that time in my life. And I still do sometimes. Don't no, get me I wrong. I have music like that, too. Road trip, if I'm alone, you better believe that mm-hmm. I'm singing <laughs> every moment yeah. of the road trip. Yeah, I believe that. But hopefully you guys are listening to That's Pretty Dark. Mm-hmm. I'm Christian. I'm Kaylin. And uh, we're going to have a good time. <laughs> yeah, because guess what? What? We're back. Oh, God. I'm oh, really this sorry. is what we should have done. I'm so sorry. This is what we should have done <laughs> when we came back from Halloween. Yeah, I know, right? After we took a week off, we should have been like, hey, we're, we're back. We're back. A podcaster's story. A podcaster's story. We're dinosaurs these days, basically. <laughs> we are dinosaurs. Spot the difference. They're the same picture. ADHD dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> if you couldn't pick it up from this confusing uh, conglomeration of words. The swirl of verbiage. Today, we're <laughs> the swirl of verbiage. That that describes our life <laughs> entirely. Swirl. Our friendship especially. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Also, another great lo-fi album. <laughs> oh, I love it. Title. That's my favorite. Swirl That's way better verbiage. than Face Achy. <laughs> <laughs> swirl verbiage by Face Achy. <laughs> 
Oh, God. Okay. Eventually, I'm into we're gonna it, get though. I hate to admit it, but I'm into it. I just want to say, I do not like this movie. Wow. I don't like it. See, I did not expect you to like it. No. I expected you to like one certain portion, and that was it. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate fully expected that. The carnival stuff is great. Yeah, exactly. But everything else is just like, what the <laughs> hell am I watching? We are going to discuss that and so much more. Oh, my but yeah, God. Guys, up front, up top. Christian's letting you know. <laughs> I don't like this, this movie. This is not his recommendation. <laughs> I mean, I am glad that you like it or have liked it or hate it or I don't know what. I don't know. I'm glad we have it for our podcast content, but I don't like the movie. Fair. I want to talk all about That's it. That's exactly what I was going to say is that it's one of my personal childhood staples. I don't know that that means that I like it. Hmm. I don't think those two things are the same. The Venn diagram, it's not the same. I get that. This movie has an ultra special place in my heart personally. Because it is the first ever movie that I can remember choosing for myself at my local movie gallery, which is, uh, that was the secondary company to Blockbuster. They could never oust Blockbuster, but they were actually founded in Alabama, by the way. Found that out this week. Really? Very interesting. Founded in Dothan. So. (laughs) Cool. But we had a movie gallery and of course I went to Blockbuster too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I know. We never went to movie gallery. I had friends who did, and I was like, why would you go to off-brand? Off-brand Blockbuster. Not good Blockbuster. But I went there because, specifically I know this, because my parents like to shop at Kmart. Mm. So I would get Little Caesars Crazy Bread. Yeah. And I'd got to go to movie gallery when we would go to Kmart. Wow. I thought that I rented it like a dozen times. I thought I rented it over and over and over. I know it was more than once, mm-hmm. but when I checked with my parents... uh. It may have been three <laughs> times. But how would they remember? I don't know. I asked them if they remembered, and they were like, was that the one with the dinosaur? It would have been like 25 years ago. Um, but they, they said, my dad was like, there's no way I would have paid to rent a movie for you 12 times. Like, we would have purchased it. Yeah. And I was like, well, that makes sense, but I just have this memory. Anyway, I don't have a ton of, like, daily, day-to-day memories of my childhood, but I remember walking back to my parents' minivan with this movie in my arms. Hmm. Like, I was holding it. Wow. So, even if I'm in that area now, like, the movie gallery, the Kmart, none of it's there. You think of... But I think of that whenever I'm in that area or that parking lot. Oh, Kind of sweet. Well, that's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so, maybe, just maybe, uh, I can help you to appreciate this film for what it's done for me, if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> if it's important to you, Kaylin, it's important to Aww, me. Oh, what a uh, good friend. I guess that's what friendship's all What a good co-host. About. Am I? So, without further ado, would you all care to hear a summary? Oh, yeah, I think I would. Okay, I need you to answer because they can't answer. I think they probably do. Okay. Yeah, I'll speak for everybody. <laughs> we've we've tried the door of the Explorer thing before. It doesn't work. No. I, <laughs> no. So, in We're Back, four dinosaurs are kidnapped from the past by a scientist named Captain New Eyes and force-fed some magic cereal that makes them docile and gives them human knowledge. Mm. And then he drops them in the, quote-unquote, middle future in New York City in order to make children's wishes come true. Mm -hmm. In New York, they meet the runaway kid, Louie, and the very well-mannered Cecilia. (laughs) Both of them are just wishing for friends and community and connection. And then... They run into the one singular person that Captain New Eyes told them to avoid. His brother, Professor Screw Eyes, who wants to capture them for his eccentric circus. Mm. Will they make it to the Museum of Natural History to fulfill dreams? Or will they become prisoner to the deep-seated fear that consumes Professor Screw Eyes? Hmm. Those are good questions. We're going to tell you. Or you already know if you've seen the movie. 
If not, don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Just listen to this and you'll know Just everything you need to know. Oh, God. I watched it twice. <laughs> I mean, oh, I understand that you are you have your feelings about it. Yeah. But you have to admit, it's got UFOs. It's got sugar cereal. <laughs> it's got dinosaurs. And it's got unmitigated fear. These are all 90s staples. It's got so, so many things. So regardless of how you feel about it, you can't argue so that this things. movie was made for the children of the 90s. <laughs> it was made for them. Uh, to market to them, to feed them in all the different ways. Oh, yes. Was there not a main big point to the cereal? You would think so, wouldn't you? Were they not going to try to create and sell and market brain grain? Like, I've never seen it. I'm not going to say that it didn't happen. My takeaway was that that was just a failed project. Was this a General Mills commercial? I mean, it could have (laughs) been. It was originally meant to be a TV, like straight to TV project. So I mean, it. I just know it's Spielberg, so his whole product placement thing, mm-hmm. I could just see it being a thing where they go, we're going to make a cereal mm-hmm. that is going to be, you know, quote unquote, very healthy right? Uh, for kids. Brain grain. And we're going to market this to them, and it's going to be like Popeye spinach. Right. People are going to eat it up because it's going to make kids smart, mm-hmm. and it gives them permission or an excuse to be decent. If they didn't do that, they missed the, the boat, I think. I kind of feel like they should have. Otherwise, what the hell? <laughs> What's happening? Well, we'll get there. We've got a lot to unpack. Clearly, we have a lot to unpack. I would say this film is sad, but it's not as sad as All Dogs. No, and it's dark. Yeah, but it's not even really as dark as Page Master. No, but something about it kept me coming back over and over and over. I don't know if it was just the whimsy of the time travel or the intriguing dialogue that was obviously very adult in some cases. It was probably, if I'm being honest with what my child self would have appreciated, the featured song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it could have also been the maybe sort of potentially profound discourse about facing your fears and being a friend. That part I liked. I'm probably overselling it. <laughs> and I can say that it fell out of my regular rotation of movies that I watch. You know, I, I do rewatch things uh, very frequently. Yeah. And this one, for whatever reason, just kind of dropped out of the ranking. I can see why. So when I watched it this week... It was like a time warp. (laughs) It was like straight up, I'm a five-year-old kid watching this movie. It was wild to me. Just how much of it came back and how much of it I did know really well after, like, you know, I had a couple things in my head about what this film was, but I was surprised all over again and confused all over again. I found myself thinking, if I had seen this as a kid, this would be a delightful experience to watch it again. Sure. But- you know, having not, you I was just ever seen from the get go, very confused. Yeah. You guys are going to get a really unique perspective on this film because it's me who's, yeah. who grew up watching it and Christian who knew nothing about it until this week. No, like, yeah, you were like, you didn't know that Spielberg was involved. I was like, I knew exactly zero things before I hit play. Like <laughs> I knew nothing about this movie. I had a completely different movie in my head Man, about what was going to happen. I just, yeah, I'm interested to talk about what your expectations were too. And then it started with birds who birds. I thought were going to be the main characters. And then I sure, had no idea were. what was going on. And then on. they didn't really explain why it started. That I, I still don't understand quite, no. but we'll get to it. Cause I think there, I think there are some themes that tie in I mean, and I'm probably trying too hard, but we'll see. We'll see. All I know is it was based on a book. It was. So they probably just pulled a lot directly from the book and that's what well, happened. <laughs> I'll explain. Or maybe I'm wrong entirely. You're not exactly correct. So well, wouldn't be the first time. I'll set the scene for you. We're back, which, like you said, was produced by Steven Spielberg. Was released theatrically just a few months after Steven Spielberg released Jurassic Park. 
Hmm. It was released on November 24th, 1993, during the Thanksgiving holiday, which wow. means we will have just passed the 29th anniversary when you're hearing this, or at least when the episode's coming out. Hmm. Yeah. And it was somehow rated G. It was marketed as the somewhat equal but more family-friendly Spielberg dinosaur film, hmm. and it had the tagline... A dinosaur adventure for the whole family. Gotcha. So essentially, if you didn't want to take your kids to Jurassic Park, here's the movie for you. Yeah. They want to watch a dinosaur movie because there is one. Right. Well, here it is. Uh, that's a good effort, I guess. Uh, but in just all honesty, Stephen, respectfully, how could you? How could you? <laughs> how could you market it? <laughs> On par with Jurassic Park in any way. Like, I don't expectations know. were not managed with this film and the marketing of this film. They just were not. No. Uh, during the parade scene, you can even see a Jurassic Park poster. Uh-huh. And, or not poster, but a um, marquee. Yeah, on the, of, the, uh, like, the movie theater. Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yes. Cinema. And there's also a cameo of Steven Spielberg. And critics really didn't like that because they felt like he was just using this as an opportunity to promote his yeah. other movie, which... He totally was. Of course he was, yeah. There's no other way around it. It'd be it. weird if they uh, used Jurassic Park to market <laughs> we're back. That would have been awkward. Oh, man. That would have been, yeah, that would have been awkward. That wouldn't have worked out as well, I think, Finally, as this did for him. On a the film whole. for the whole family. They also, he, he I'll just mention this while we're talking about Spielberg, he shouts out his alma mater, like his high school, during the parade scene. The band uh, is Arcadia High School, and that's where he went to high school. Oh, that's cool. I mean, to be a filmmaker, it's kind of fun to insert parts of your life into your work and that's why sure, we're here yeah, that's yeah. what what we expect but i dig that critics didn't like it <laughs> and it makes sense because marching bands from all over the nation get to go play in the, the thanksgiving. macy's thanksgiving day parade right. that's true so that's pretty cool we're back grossed 4.6 million during its opening weekend playing alongside films like miss doubtfire love mrs doubtfire and i read that there were snowstorms that caused pretty much everything in this like box office bracket like this release to struggle hmm. but i'm afraid for our dinosaur friends and I can admit this now that I'm a grown-up, uh, it was probably more than just the weather that caused this movie <laughs> to struggle in the box office. Yeah, not shocking. It grossed $9.3 million overall during its box office run on a $20 million budget hmm. and became, for journalists of the time, another example of how difficult it was to compete with Disney in the animation world. Right. Critics in the 90s were pretty harsh with this film, given Steven Spielberg's position, you know? Yeah. And they praised the voice talent and... They thought it was cool that he brought together this cast. Uh, most people said at the time it was more like a television cartoon than a feature yeah. because of all the ultra-fast pacing and minimal character development. <laughs> I can't disagree with those points, Yeah, but I will continue. I, ma I maintain that there's still a certain dark, thrilling magic around everything from this time period, and this really fits into that niche. Yeah, I still think it fits the time period. And I, I still think it does capture an element of, of that magic. Mm -hmm. It's just if it were a spectrum, this would be on the lower end. Sure. You know? I, I can get behind that. And there probably are movies from that time that don't belong in the, uh, <laughs> you know. in the bracket at all. Yeah, it's true. There was a Slash Film article from 2017, and I liked what they said. They said, Despite its poor character animation and bizarre writing, the incorporation of a horror circus and real dinosaurs dancing on city streets would fascinate children's minds. Of course, yeah. And fascinate this mind, it did. Mm -hmm. um, it was re-released on VHS in 1995, and I'm pretty sure that's the wave that I caught. <laughs> yeah. Was that yeah. release in 95. So I could have been as young as four years old. Wow. Renting it from Movie Gallery, which is crazy. That might be one of my earliest memories, which is nuts. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's true. It did. I mean, it had all the makings of like all the visual elements that kids would really love. Mm-hmm. You know, it may have said the family, a family movie, it, but it was made for very small children. Yeah, it feels that way. They weren't following, you probably weren't following the dialogue and the storyline that much anyway. It was mostly just what it looked like and how yeah, the crazy visuals, and cool. The and that's what I think captured the hearts and minds and the imagination I of think it children did. everywhere. I think it did. But speaking of earliest memories, let's roll back the rock to the dawn of oh the dinosaur God. story. <laughs> Lord. And talk about the production story. I'm always thrilled whenever I go to do one of these movies and I can actually find details about production because they're not always abundant. Right. But I actually have the whole story, which I think is awesome. Oh, cool. We're Back got its start in 1987 during the dinosaur renaissance. I promise that's a thing. <laughs> it began in the late 60s when new research was emerging to suggest that dinosaurs may have been warm-blooded like modern animals. Right. And it carries through popular culture well into the millennium. And I personally could talk about the dinosaur renaissance for days. Yeah. But I'll just emphasize that it was this, you know, what brought this movie about. It was the same dinosaur renaissance that brought us classics like The Land Before Time and the show Dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, obviously. <sighs> yeah. We were all about dinosaurs in the 80s and 90s as kids, and I'm really not sure that magic has worn off. No, yeah, Uh, yeah. I've even posted and shown you guys my, like, long neck (laughs) dinosaur figurine that I had for years. Like, I I was a dinosaur kid. I don't... I just I mean, I thought they were super cool. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I didn't study them. I didn't know all different kinds, but... I did. I think everyone... See, I knew dinosaurs and I knew dog breeds, and that's how I made friends, was I could... I would be like... I'd give them my dog breed handbook and be like, quiz me. Show me a dog. I'll tell you what dog. (laughs) Yeah, I had, like... Like, like dinosaur, Yikes. like toys and animals and stuff. You weren't the same dinosaur kid that I, I was. It's not on your level. I've never been on your level <laughs> uh, to do with anything, I don't think. But oh, I'm sure you surpassed me in many dinosaurs, ways. Maybe not in dinosaur fandom. I, not in dinosaur fandom. But I just remember how popular they were. Dinosaurs were everywhere. Books on them. I mean, everything. We had yeah. we had dinosaur, quote unquote, experts come to our school and talk about that. Din- I mean, it was always in relation to the Bible and how humans lived uh, alongside dinosaurs mm. and how that factors into scripture. But I wasn't going to bring this up. Oh my god! We don't have to get into it. I had. Oh, I mean, I just have maybe for like a post-credits conversation. Okay, that just bring me back there if you want to hear some crazy stuff. So that we don't <laughs> we don't constantly just berate the, the religious. religious trauma kids. Get it? No, they totally get it. They get it, don't you? You're get all it? Shouting about it. <laughs> but for those of you who are like, shut Ooh, up about okay. the Bible already. Yeah, we'll stick with the we'll stick with the story for now. Uh, The story of We're Back was first a children's book, like you said, by a man named Hudson Talbot. He has written over 27 children's books and still counting. He's still writing today, including a book called River of Dreams about the Hudson River, Hmm. which actually inspired an entire musical, which I did not know uh, before I started looking into this. But I think it's kind of interesting that his name is Hudson and he wrote about the Hudson River. Maybe he was named. I wonder if it's his namesake. Maybe yeah. he was named after it. And he's Very just been obsessed ever since. I mean, I get it. You obsessed with the Kalen. The Kalen River Reservoir. I got my name from a uh, beauty pageant queen that was in the paper wow. a couple weeks before I was born. My parents liked it. That's great. <laughs> I got my name because I was supposed to be a good Christian boy. Mm. I was. That's different. That hits different. I was. You were. You were. I was. Again, we can we can leave it there. <laughs> I was almost named Jeremy. <laughs> no offense to Jeremy's, but I'm glad I wasn't. So this guy, Hudson Talbot, that wrote the book, met with Spielberg and other producers throughout the development of the film, but like many authors, he really didn't get much of a say in the final screenplay. Hmm. That's not uncommon in this sort of situation. Mm-mm. 
uh, from what I could gather, I did not read the book, could not find the book uh, in time, but from what I could gather, the book was very short, <laughs> only 20 pages long, yeah. <laughs> and even less substantial than the eventual film. Sure. But Amblimation, which is Amblin Entertainment's subsidiary, uh, still had to fight to get the rights to this. It was a hot commodity in the late 80s. This book, huh? Yeah. This wow. story first caught the interest of Hanna-Barbera uh, just a couple months after it was published, hmm. and they approached him about producing it. Uh, Universal Pictures ended up paying off Hanna-Barbera to get the rights to it so that Amblimation <laughs> wow. could take it on. Uh, even Disney executives showed interest in adapting this book to add to their slate after they completed The Little Mermaid. Yeah. But in this case which very rarely happened, but Universal beat them to the punch. That's wild. John Musker, who directed Disney hits including The Great Mouse Detective, The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Hercules, Treasure Planet, Princess and the Frog, and Moana, Man. said that he thought a Disney version of this story could be like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, but a seven-year-old Snow White with dinosaurs instead of dwarves. <laughs> That's cool, yeah. He was he was excited for it. Yeah. And as much as I love the version that was made, I can't help but wonder what would have come of this story uh, and dreaming up the circus scenes especially, right. if the same mind who directed Radigan and Poor Unfortunate Souls and Hades and pretty much all of Treasure Planet. Absolutely. And even Friends on the Other Side had gotten a hold of this story. Dude, for real though. Damn. That, see, that could have taken it to a whole new level. That it, that I energy, agree. that Disney energy. Oh my God. I fully agree. Could not agree more. Very cool. The storyboarding of We're Back began in 1990. And it was pretty difficult because they were trying to squeeze a feature film out of 20 pages of actual content. Yeah, I was surprised to see it was only like an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah, it's still a short movie. Super short. The first screenplay draft was written by a guy named uh, Flint Dill, who had worked on the animated Transformers, G.I. Joe, hmm. and An American Tale, Five Goes West. But ultimately, Steven Spielberg was not a fan of his draft. Yeah. So Steven hired a guy named John Patrick Shanley. Shane. who had written Moonstruck in 1987 and worked with Steven on Joe versus the Volcano with Tom Hanks oh, and O'Brien. Nice. Which it kind of made me laugh because it's like, I guess I knew of Joe versus the Volcano, but I started to look into this. I was like, how many freaking movies did Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan make? <laughs> I love them all, but like, I feel like I discover a new one every other the month. The more the I'm merrier, like, honestly. Oh my God. <laughs> and honestly, I've probably seen it. I just don't remember. Yeah. But I agree, more the merrier. You guys can do more if you want to. So Shane Lee, his draft was a lot darker <laughs> than the original draft and was ultimately the script that they worked from. Steven liked it a lot better. And honestly, I'm glad because yeah. the darkness is what I like about this movie. It's the only reason to watch the movie. Instead of Disney's John Musker, who I think really just could have knocked it out of the park. Not that these guys did a bad job. <laughs> I'm going to kind of explain to you why I think it landed where it did. Because if you notice in the credits before the movie, We're Back had four directors. Yeah, I saw that. These directors were Phil in the Blink, Simon Wells, and Dick and Ralph Zondag. That guy's name is Phil in the Blank? <laughs> Phil Nibblink. <laughs> Phil in the Blink? It sounds like a card. What's that I game think. where like it's all spelled funny and you have to read oh, it? Oh, it does. Yeah, yeah, What's yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. It's like nonsense or something and oh, you have to no, like sound it's, out whatever's on the... Like, yeah. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Uh, totally. People are like, you idiots. <laughs> What's it called? Dummies. I'm a love machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm a love machine. <laughs> It's a pretty fun game. Stupid commercial. It's a fun game if you have to like wait in line somewhere. It's fun to play stuff like that. It is. 
Steven Spielberg wanted the darkness that came from the script, but Phil Nibbling didn't really like it. <laughs> but I'm glad that Steven went out on this one. I can't unhear it. And I'll give a quick rundown of each of these guys because I think it's all really relevant. But I also think the fact that they had four directors trying to direct this movie is also really relevant <laughs> to the final product. Sounds like there's too many directors, too many directors in the studio. Kitchen? Yeah. <laughs> the editing kitchen. <laughs> so Phil Nibbling got his start. In 1971, as a character animator on The Fox and the Hound. Oh my god. He was also an animator for Mickey's Christmas Carol, The Great Mouse Detective, and Casper before, I assume, meeting Stephen while he animated for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm. Nice. He then worked under Stephen for 10 years, and he co-directed Five Will Goes West with Simon Wells. Gotcha. This guy is apparently a powerhouse. He worked on The Iron Giant and Cats Don't Dance. Ooh, Iron Giant's good. he turned out Puss in Boots, the 1999 animated version, not the Shrek one that you're thinking of. Oh, I see. And Romeo and Juliet sealed with a kiss almost single-handedly. So he made animated movies like nobody's business. He was yeah. He was a multi-talented kind of guy. Sounds cool. Simon Wells, uh, of course, worked on Five Goes West, like I said, but he got his start storyboarding for All Dogs Go to Heaven. Wow. He also storyboarded for Beauty and the Beast, Road to El Dorado, Shrek, and Spirit. Jeez. He also, and I'm going to blow your mind with this one, Simon Wells also directed Balto. Huh. And he directed The Prince of Egypt. Oh my God, yes. My mouth dropped open when I read that because I was like, there's Uh. no way. But yeah, Simon Wells. Cannot wait to cover Prince of Egypt. Me either. Man, me either. Simon Wells also went on to animate a lot more with DreamWorks, including Over the Hedge, Kung Fu Panda, and many more. Hmm. The Zondag brothers, Ralph and Dick, worked together for most of their career, and they have credits between them, including the Care Bears movie, Ewoks. Hmm. Uh, they were directing animators on The Land Before Time, specifically the characters uh, Petrie and Sharptooth. Oh, I see. <laughs> which... I totally get it. Yeah. They also uh, animated on All Dogs, Space Jam, Quest for Camelot, oh my God. Iron Giant, Osmosis Jones, Chicken Little, Meet the Robinsons, Bolt, Meet and the more. Robinsons. Some of those were them individually, but for the most part, they worked together. Damn. All right. And Ralph actually co-wrote Disney's Pocahontas, mm. which, ooh, uh, and well, <laughs> I love the movie, but- I mean, it's a beautiful and film. And also co-directed the, the movie Dinosaur for Disney. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. So of these four guys, a lot of them already have connections to dinosaur-related projects. <laughs> so it seems like it just made sense yeah. that they team up to work on this movie. Right. According to Wikipedia, Nibblink was the most hands-on with We're Back of the four directors because Simon Wells had to step away after he was assigned to direct Balto. Got to. And it seems like this, yeah, this was a common practice at Amblimation where directors would rotate between projects that they had on deck. Mm-hmm. Because at this point when We're Back was in production, they were still finishing an American tale, Bible Goes West, while developing We're Back and Balto and a failed project adapting the musical Cats at the same time. Oh, nice. It feels like Cats is cursed. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> it pretty much is, yes. It feels as though it is a cursed piece of media. <laughs> Yes. But I, I really can't help but think that this rotating director style might be at least partly to blame for the quick, chaotic, disjointed feel Could be. that you get from so this movie. they weren't all there at the same time, or were they? Because I'm like, why four directors? Simon Wells was mostly only involved with the script, it seems like. And he basically bowed okay. out after that. 
so you don't really feel Prince of Egypt too much in this movie. <laughs> no, definitely not. But I, th- I don't think that he, I don't think he had a choice in it. I think Steven Spielberg assigned these guys to it yeah. and then said, actually, Simon, you go work on Balto. Interesting. And okay. it seems like that's how it worked in their studio because they were all in his studio. Got it. Yeah. But it's, I mean, I kind of like that energy though. It was something. Kicking things around something like, else. all right, let's figure this out. You guys do this and then, you know, we'll move you around if we have yeah, to. Yeah, it's more like a writer's room of directing, which hey. depends on the project. It's tough to run a ship with four people. Yeah. Again, like you said, too many, too many uh, directors, directors in, in the kitchen. kitchen. But hearing this, it really solidified for me once again, how intertwined all of the films of my childhood were and how many of them I did manage to see as a child. And I'm also struck again by how much less media we had as kids than kids have today. Yeah. Being born while the three to four studio monopoly was still really strong in all areas of film and TV and entertainment, I feel like it was easier for even like the lower echelons of society to see most of the latest films. Right. At the time, we all only had so many options, the same few options. Mm -hmm. And this, I think, also strengthened our millennial zeitgeist further. Right. And I think that's part of the reason our generation feels so bonded together. Yeah. It's not not just the trauma. (laughs) (laughs) It's also just there was a much more shared cultural experience in media. It was possible to see everything. Yeah. Today, it's it's, it's nearly impossible. Yeah. You have to just kind of pick what you want to consume. But then there were only so many movies made per year. Right. And if it came out, pretty much everyone saw it. Exactly. Generally. There were so few successful studios at the time. And today, like you said, it's almost impossible. There's streaming services. Um, there are more studios than just the three to four. And plus there's the content creation. Every man can create content now. Yeah. And in addition to that, they have the backlog of everything before this, which we started out with, like I say started out, we were born into much less of a backlog of children's entertainment than now. Because before then, there was even less made before we grew up. Right. You know, so it's increasingly steadily been more and more things every every year. Now it's every week, every day. So now you can kind of niche down into things that you like, even as a kid. Whereas when we were kids, that wasn't as much of an option. Mm -hmm. It was becoming an option, but it wasn't really there yet. So we we have the same experiences because we all saw the same things. Right. And I think that's cool. We're the last generation to have that. It is cool. You're we right. talk about that a lot. We're the last generation for a lot of things. We're the last generation yeah. to have memories pre-internet. It's just, yep. it's wild. Yep. I just, I think it's such an interesting point to remember, especially for That's Pretty Dark as a, as a show, is we're bonded by this because there was so much less for us to, to find. Yeah, you're right. I think it's cool. It's fascinating to yep. me. That's an aside. That's your sociology lesson for today. We might come back to some sociology. We'll see. Guys. We were forced to watch bad movies like We're Back, <laughs> which somehow I missed. It made I didn't us better people. <laughs> I know for sure I didn't see this one. Yeah, that's crazy Nothing. for it to be the one that you haven't seen. It, it rang no bells. Yeah. I heard no bells. Wouldn't win the Nobel. Oh my God. Sure would Sure wouldn't. Anyway. And speaking of this very thing, this shared experience, I want to go ahead and credit James Horner for the score. I did like the score. We talked about him at length in our Page Master episode. Right. He obviously has done so much. Rest in peace, James Horner. Mm. Uh, to hit the highlights, refresh memory, uh, if you didn't hear the Page Master episode or you don't remember, he did Titanic, Captain EO, An American Tale, Land Before Time, including the song If We Hold On Together, mm, man. Uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Five Will Goes West, Once Upon a Forest, Casper, Jumanji, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Etc. If you want to hear me gush more about James Horner, just go back to the Page Master episode. It is there for you. Or go back anyway, because that was a fun time. So this is what I told you about earlier. I don't know if we were recording it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
Uh, Wikipedia noted that as they neared the end of production, a scramble for nearly $1 million worth of alterations took place after they had a really rough test screening. Mm. And this point is when they added the very well-remembered Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade scene and the song Roll Back the Rock, written by James Horner and Thomas Dolby, who had a career as well. It's intense, but he was a recording engineer for Fern Gully. Okay. Also, Little Richard sings a version of the song in the credits. In the credits, (laughs) yeah. Oh, yeah. Figured out a way you guys can stroll uptown and not cause a riot. Come on. Despite the fact that it was never actually explained how these dinosaurs were able to sneak into the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade with no protest from anyone. Yeah, and they're on a float. Many critics felt like this parade scene was the best in the film. What? And can you imagine if they hadn't had that test screening go bad and they hadn't added it? Yeah. I, Personally, I can't. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I have issues with this scene. <laughs> More than just the fact that they appeared in the parade. More than the, it logically doesn't make any sense, but I've expressed this to you before. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast yet. You know, like music doesn't make sense. No, 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 not that, not that. You've expressed that. The, no, it makes sense. The music makes sense in this scene. Because they're in a parade. I am made so deeply uncomfortable by children dancing in any capacity. <laughs> what do you mean? It makes me so uncomfortable. Why is that? I don't know. I've told well, you they, before. I mean, for, first of all, they're animated. It still holds. Okay. Even within animation. You're not a kids bop fan. Absolutely not. No. That may be why I hate it so much because I hated those kids bop commercials. You, you've never seen Dance Moms. No. never. What is that? <laughs> I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't think we've come upon anything yet that you've struggled with the way that I struggle with things. I don't know. This is it. Damn. Any of those like Gap commercials that come on around the holidays yeah. where all the kids are dancing around in their cool new clothes. Can't stand it. I hate it. I, I have to like Weird. look away. Do you think that this ties in to get into the Christian psychology of it all? Oh, no. Do you think that this ties into like what you've told me before, how you weren't really allowed to like be silly and I don't express know. yourself? It's not that. I don't think it's that at all. Hmm. Just saying. And there are so many children dancing in the scene. They're all animated. They They're all choreographed the exact same. They are. And I, I hate it. Roll back I the rock it. till the dawn of Oh, time. God. It's like so uncomfortable. I'm surprised. I figured there were many more things that made you uncomfortable about this movie. That being the least of them. No, there are lots of other things too. Oh, okay, okay. We'll get to more of them. But that then. was the most. You'll have to let us know. That was the feel. one thing I couldn't stand to look at twice. Wow. Don't make it weird. I'm just talking about it. I, no, I'm just. I didn't expect that. I just thought there were a lot of other triggers. <laughs> yeah, you no, know, there are other cringy things for sure. But like I said, the critics loved it. This was the best that the film got in a lot of people's opinion. Never trusted critics. Never trust the critics. Very rarely, anyway. Mm-mm. I also squeezed in to my notes here that We're Back was the first animated film not produced by Disney to fully use digital ink and paint technology to complete the animation. Hmm. So they were pioneering something. Most of the animated films we've discussed so far really were. Yeah. But still, they're not Disney. I did appreciate the animation. Another fun note about the directing, as they were storyboarding, Phil Nibelink would voice the characters, you know, to add to the animatics. Yeah. And he imitated people like... Walter Cronkite and Julia Child, <laughs> which is what prompted Steven Spielberg to cast them. That's funny. And I think that's kind of fun. Because he just kind of projected their voice onto those characters. And then Steven was like, I like that. Oh, let's do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, though, the actors and Nibblink struggled with some of the dialogue from the original script and found it unnatural. So they changed a few lines while they were recording. Yeah. But because this was not approved by Shane Lee, they ended up having to ADR his original dialogue for the film. <laughs> I see. Yikes. That doesn't sound fun to me. No. And I feel like most writers are pretty cool about that stuff, but they didn't get it approved, so got axed. That's wild. 
speaking of the cast, I think this is a pretty good time to transition into the cast. I'm going to try to keep this brief for you guys. This is a monstrously long cast list. Yeah, there like, are a lot of people. So many cast members. There's a lot of people in this movie. But we'll start at the beginning with the deep, comforting dino voice that we hear humming at the beginning of the movie. And that is, of course, John Goodman. His career goes back to the TV movies of the 80s before he landed his iconic gig as Dan Connor in Roseanne yeah. in 1988. I can't believe it was that long ago. I don't know why, but Roseanne started in 1988. That's shocking to me. Mm-hmm. And it ran through 1997, and it was rebooted briefly, as we know, in 2018. Yeah. During this time, he was also a regular face on Saturday Night Live. He played Fred Flintstone in the 1994 Flintstones, <laughs> which I had totally blocked from my memory until I saw it. And I was like, really? oh, no, I think yeah, about I remember that. that. Too often. Too much? Yeah. It's one of those that gets to you for sure. I think about it all the time. Whenever I would take my Flintstones vitamin, obviously I watched the cartoon, but whenever I would take my Flintstones vitamin, that was the version that I would think of. (laughs) Really? Mm -hmm. Interesting. I also took the Flintstones vitamin. Oh, man. They cure what ails you. Can I just get those in bulk, please? Can I just have <laughs> Can you fix a, me a lifetime supply? Of... I mean, I, all I know is that I felt a hell of a lot better when I was taking those than I do now. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Forget the fact that it was 25 years ago. Yeah, forget the fact that you were a kid. and I've aged. Yeah. He also had long-running gigs on other shows and appeared in everything from The Borrowers, which I forgot about that too, the Borrowers, to yeah. The Big Lebowski and as Pacha in The Emperor's New Groove. And The Emperor's New School, which was a Disney Channel spinoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my favorite John Goodman credit is as Sully in Monsters, Inc., which was in 2001. Incredible. And he's been Sully in every reprise since then. Good. I love, God, I love Monsters, Inc. It's so good. I worked at Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor in Disney World. Yeah, you did. When I hear the music, any of the score from Monsters, Inc., I'm like, I'm in Disney World. (laughs) Because I just heard it on the loop for hours and hours and hours. And I hated my life then, but man, I'd go back to it now. Hmm. His voice has always comforted me. And I think that's due to voicing characters like Rex and Sully and Pacha. Right. He apparently recorded his lines as Rex very shortly after having his wisdom teeth removed. Hmm. And he had to like ice his face between takes. What? They couldn't give him like (laughs) a week? That's so sad to me. I know. (laughs) But production schedules, you you know how a production schedule is. There were times when I thought his voice didn't sound like him. So maybe it's because he was why he was not feeling well. That's horrible. He felt he felt very um muted, subdued. So, yeah, yeah, subdued's the word. Which I can totally see that being why. Mm-hmm. IMDb claims that he's had more animated roles than any quoting celebrity actor. Yeah, ever. And I'm really not sure about that because I'm not sure how you quantify that or qualify that. I know there are plenty of actors that have. I think you just you know, gone count into the number careers. of voice acting roles, that, like animation roles, but like that actors more than any celebrity actor. It says so. It's like oh yeah, there are other actors that may have had more. That's true. That have had you know on screen roles too. I don't know. Maybe IMDb is going by the IMDb like rating score system that they have that doesn't really mean anything. Their star meter. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Like by the number of credits that they have and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Or something like that. I don't know. But they're all they're all ranked. Yeah. Buster, the overly ambitious birdling, <laughs> is voiced by Blaze Berdahl. Yeah. Who had a super relevant list of credits. I almost didn't include the birds and I was like, no, no, no. I'm gonna look it up. And I'm really glad that I did <laughs> because Blaze Berdahl, do you know her name? Uh, no, I looked up to see who voiced oh, okay. you know, the birds. but She was Ellie Creel in the 1989 Pet Cemetery. Oh, wow. She played Crazy. a character named Terry in the first Are You Afraid of the Dark video game. Oh, nice. That's sick. And she starred as Lenny on Ghost Rider. No way. So she had a lot of 
pretty dark yeah, connections. Yeah, I need to go back and just watch Ghost Rider. I know, me too. We will. I think we should cover it eventually. We've said we will. Buster's mother was voiced by Rhea Perlman, who is best known as Carla from Cheers and Miss Wormwood from Matilda. No freaking way. That was the mommy bird. We're going to do Matilda. Oh, absolutely. Such a dark Matilda's movie. pretty dark. Mm-hmm. Love that. Wow. The kids in this story are voiced by Joey Shea and Yeardley Smith as Louie and Cecilia, respectively. Cecilia Nuthatch. Cecilia Nuthatch. Joey was another Ghostwriter alum oh, nice. as Calvin, and he also made regular appearances in One Life to Live and As the World Turns. Okay. He was 16 when he provided his voice for Louis, maybe 15. He was 16 when the movie came out, in any case. Right. And I'm going to also say, listener, that the design of the character Louis has always reminded me so much of TJ from Recess. Oh, God. Like, so much. Yeah. If you just flip the cap backward, it's like identical. Yeah. I've always just it's a jacket. That's all it is. It's a jacket. Yeah. But that I've always conflated. He's like quintessential nineties white kid look. To the point where when Louie came on screen when I was watching it this week, my brain went, There's TJ, which that's not his name. Yeah. His name's Louie. That's funny. Uh Yeardley, of course, has been voicing Lisa Simpson since nineteen eighty nine. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's the voice of Lisa Simpson. Wow. And not to be weird about it, because they were voice actors after all, mm-hmm. but she was 29 when she voiced Cecilia and he was, you know, 15. That's not weird at all. Yeah. Um, What's weird is how sexual they made hey, Cecilia. Hey, we'll get there. We will get it's there. It's the animation and the choices we'll that the there. script, We're it's gonna the script. Get there. I swear we will. I don't care how Hang old the voice there. actors are, as long as the voice actors aren't, you know, bumping uglies in sure, the back room. Sure, sure. No, yeah, it, it was weird, and we are going to talk about why. It was weird. Very soon. Would still rather watch that than kids dancing. Really? Absolutely. You, to be clear, that meaning the Louis and Cecilia romance. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. I don't want to look Just at checking. anything illegal necessarily, but I would, my God, I would almost rather watch anything, anything. than look at a 10-year-old hip-hop dancing. Captain New Eyes is voiced by none other than Walter Cronkite. Yeah, I was surprised to see that. Who, of course, is the voice many boomers and Gen Xers know for his news broadcasting. He served as a news reporter during World War II. And that's the way it was. That's the way it is. And that's the Uh, way, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, I like it. (laughs) Bruce Almighty. Yeah, uh uh-huh. It's Jim Carrey. Here you go. I like it. Uh uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Knew you were going to finish the line. I was watching you. <laughs> you already have a mustache and a beard. I already did it. He was I, giving yeah. himself a mustache listener with his, his hand, his finger, but he literally has facial hair. Doing the Bruce Almighty thing. <laughs> Walter- and that's why at the end, end of the movie, he says, And that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. That's exactly why. You're, yes, you've jumped ahead. I just, I just put it together. He served as a news reporter during World War II and became a journalist officially in 1950. And he started a career with uh, CBS News in 1962. Huh. And then he retired from journalism in 1981. Wow. So there were two like solid decades where people just associated him and his voice and his, you know, yeah. presence with news broadcasting. Yeah, no, he was a big deal. He was that comforting voice you could trust. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about with the Disney. Oh, yeah, the um, Disney co- commercial, soon, the trailer guy, on coming Disney soon Home guy. Video. Yeah. And this was actually his first voice acting role, although he did provide his voice for some of the early Spaceship Earth narration in Epcot in the early 80s. That's wicked cool. Yeah. Man, see, that's okay. I was thinking 
how could Walter Cronkite stoop so low as to voice this character <laughs> in a really terrible Well, we learned animated that it was movie. because Phil Nibelink uh, imitated him. Phil in the blank. Phil in the blank imitated him. Yeah, no, I know. So, he was a good get. When Professor New Eyes closes the museum door at the end of the movie, he says, and that's the way it is, which is a <laughs> reference to Walter Cronkite's famous closing line on the CBS Evening News. Yeah. To me, the New Eyes character just made me think a lot of that one guy from Adventures in Odyssey. Adventures in Odyssey? Is that an animated movie? What is that? Adventures in Odyssey wasn't a radio drama. You probably know it because they they put their tapes, they put audio cassettes in Chick-fil-A. Hold on. Kids meals. Yeah, 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 that guy. Yeah, he does look like him. The Screw Eyes casting story is a bit more interesting, though. I am curious. Originally, John Malkovich recorded the voice of Screw Eyes. No way. But according to Nibblink, Spielberg said that his performance was too scary. <laughs> to, to me, I want to see that I version. I mean, I want to- If that's true, I want to see I it. I want to see that version. Absolutely. I'm also having trouble picturing it because I primarily see the John Malkovich from Space Force. <laughs> oh my God. No currently, because that's just the most recent thing that I saw with John Malkovich. I can't imagine the, the brothers, the voices, maybe he did an older I know. sounding voice. But. Well, okay, so that was a story that the director told. In reality, it seems that it may have been more about creative differences. Yeah. John Malkovich has been pretty anti-We're Back in some of his interviews over the years, hmm. claiming that he walked away because the production was bureaucratized. And he said, while there was something artistic to it, in quotes, the final product is an example of what happens when you put projects like this in the laps of people who care more about the bottom line. Oh, I see. So I think he's either mad at Spielberg or something. Somebody. But he is, you know, not a fan of the production as a whole. But he read for it, or recorded it actually completely, right. and was cut. And then Christopher Lloyd recorded for the character. Mm. Wow. We don't know if it was scheduling that got in the way of that, or if Spielberg didn't like him for the character. I don't think I would have liked him for the character because he's he he would have been a great new eyes to me. Yeah, but I don't think he's a screw eyes. I can see that you're either a new eyes or you live long enough to see yourself become the screw eyes. And I think <laughs> I he's think just he's a better more of a new eyes. eyes. You know, he definitely has a very just specific sound. Yeah. And ultimately, for the role, they went with Kenneth Mars. Yeah. Kenneth Mars also voiced Triton in The Little Mermaid. Really? Yes. That's a good choice. All right. Kenneth Mars is probably best known for his appearances in Young Frankenstein and The Producers. Oh. But he's done everything from Scooby-Doo to The Smurfs to DuckTales, Tailspin, The Pink Panther, Malcolm in the Middle, Hannah Montana. Oh, my God. And he voiced Grandpa Longneck in many of the Land Before Time chronicles. Incredible. He has so many credits. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's interesting. I mean, it was clearly difficult for them to land on their Professor Screw Eyes. So Spielberg thought he was the winner. He works for me. For the sake of time, I'm going to condense the rest of the cast a lot. So I apologize in advance because this is just going to be a skim across what, we've, what we're working with. I think with. people are hitting the like 15 seconds ahead, 15 seconds ahead. <laughs> they keep checking in. <laughs> So Dweeb was voiced by Charles Fleischer, who was the voice of Roger Rabbit and who framed Roger Rabbit. No way, I did he was not know that. featured in Zodiac, Polar Express, Buzz Lightyear, Star Command, 100 Deeds for Eddie McDowd, which I loved that show and nobody talks about that show. It was a uh, Nickelodeon show. I don't think I know that one. Loved it. Wook uh, was played by Rene Levant. You want a hot dog? Or do you want a hot dog? Uh, one of the relevant credits of Rene's that I could find was that he gave additional voices on the Flintstone kids. Oh, I see. Elsa. The pterodactyl mm. was voiced by Felicity Kendall, who was a British actress who featured on Doctor Who in 2008. Enchanted and delighted to make your acquaintance, Rex. Oh, 
Pardon my wingspan, won't you please? Super sexual pterodactyl. I know, I know. We'll get there like too. Like a pterosexual, if you know what I mean. <laughs> more more like it. Uh, okay, we, we save it. Save that energy. <laughs> I need it to come back soon. All right. <laughs> Stubbs the Clown is voiced by Martin Short. Yeah, I was so pumped to see that. Who provides somewhat out of place, but well-intended comic relief. Yeah, no, it, yeah. It was forced. Stubbs the Clown. Formerly at the legitimate site. How you doing? This was Martin Short's first theatrical voice role, but he went on to do The Pebble and the Penguin, Prince of Egypt, Treasure Planet as well. He was in Prince of Egypt? Wow. He was. He was Hui huh. in Prince of Egypt. Also, Dr. Believe is voiced by Julia Child, like I said before, because uh, Phil Nibblink had done her voice. That's so funny. <laughs> they just want the Julia Child. You can't skimp on publicity. Larry King makes a cameo as himself. Sure does. The Larry King Show, we're back. Which is funny because that hadn't really happened before at the time either. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, we have Jay Leno voicing Vorb, who is the obnoxious, in my opinion, alien assistant to Captain New Eyes. Jay Leno's stand-up comedy led him to the Tonight Show gig in 1992, which was just prior to this role. Yeah. And fun fact, he also voiced the Crimson Chin on The Fairly Odd Parents. Yeah, he did. I knew that. <laughs> a better performance, if you ask me. Yeah. And apparently this week, he ended up in the hospital. I was going to say, yeah, he got burned pretty severely. So good thoughts to Jay Leno. It's crazy. I was writing about him when I like saw this. One of his uh, hundreds of cars turned on him and yeah. it said, freak you, Jay Leno. He sure did. Hate to hear it. I grew up watching Jay Leno with my like parents, basically. And so I spent a lot of time fake laughing at Jay Leno. <laughs> at Jay Leno? <laughs> yeah, That's like, funny. Ha, ha, you know how kids laugh at Did stuff? Did you fake laugh at him when you saw him and we're back? No, absolutely not. You just, yeah. I was okay, upset. I, so. <laughs> I was mad. Mm. Speaking of being mad, I will try to walk you through some of the darkness of this story and the culture that shaped the film. Madness as in? Plus my nostalgic feelings, plus Christian's hatred of the movie. <laughs> And keep in mind, he literally hadn't seen it until this week, which is wild to me. So you're getting a perspective of somebody that's known it practically since it came out Hmm. and somebody who's never seen it before at all. This is true. And I'm going to do my very best just to provide commentary and not go moment by moment so that you can enjoy the film on your own. But write in because I really don't know which way you guys prefer it. If you like me to go moment by moment when I do movie nights, I've done several of them now. Mm -hmm. So let me know what you think and how you feel. And if you haven't seen this film before or it's been a while, you should definitely go check it out. Christian's going to say not to, I think. <laughs> no, I mean, watch it. would it. benefit you to watch it. Uh, and it's actually on YouTube. It'll entertain you your kids. If you have kids. Yeah, put it uh, on for your kids. Totally. A hundred percent. First, I thought that we could dive into some of the sci-fi magic of We're Back. Right. Time travel. Spaceships. Time travel. Dinosaurs. Spaceships. I feel like We're Back fits squarely into the sci-fi frenzy that was taking the world by storm in the late 70s and 80s yeah. with the advent of Star Wars. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting to me because I think folks who grew up on that Star Wars energy were coming of age and getting into the business for themselves at this point. And so it made a lot of sense to do a sci-fi kids movie. Right, yeah. Though also not the first franchise to capitalize on the dinosaur renaissance, it feels like they were a little bit ahead of their time with the sci-fi boom as a whole. Yeah. We see an uncanny resemblance between Captain New Eye's 18th century steampunk-looking flying ship and those in films such as Disney's Atlantis, The Lost Empire, and Treasure Planet. Right. Those two. All very similar. Which are far superior. <laughs> well, 
2001 and 2002. So that's true. They came 10 years later. This kind of paved the way. It, right. In some ways. And I can't, I don't know if it was just the play on a ship. Yeah. Like a flying ship looking like an 18th century, you know, ocean ship. Right. Uh, transatlantic ship. I have no idea. But don't know. I did think it was interesting that all three of these movies had very similar aesthetic. They did. When you think about it. Those could have just based it off of this one. Yeah. You never know. Absolutely. Never know. I've also got to say, similar to the way that they brought in their sci-fi origins in this movie, being raised on a film like this, as well as stuff like Back to the Future, made me feel like time travel was so plausible. Right. So plausible from my childhood. And I think most of our generation felt this way, but I never once batted an eye at any of the pseudoscience, made inherent sense to me, understood it. Time travel as a concept. Got it. Makes sense. It was always there. <laughs> so many things were time travel. Like it just, it's just one of those things that fit into our zeitgeist that just we're like, mm-hmm, checks out. Sure. Yeah, time, time travel, travel, no problem. Which Got I think it. It's so funny because I don't know that generations before us would have been so quick to like latch on to that, Probably but not. it made total I mean, sense to we me. We also don't bat an eye at talking animals. Oh, no, not at you all. You know, never. We're like, yeah. Even though sure. the bird bat an eye at the talking dinosaur, the talking bird. <laughs> the <ain't you> a <laughs> dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Buster. Come on, Buster. But in this time travel discussion, I also have to point out that Captain New Eyes tells the dinosaurs that he comes from a time in the far future, Right. he calls it. Right. He says, a time in the far future where everyone gets along. <laughs> and I really hope that 2022 is not the far future that he came from. And I highly doubt it is being no. 29 years mm -hmm. removed from what he calls the middle future, which is 1993, presumably. Presumably. But yikes, we have a long way to no, go I, to get to the yeah. far future where everyone gets along. I think, yeah, far future. I hope we get there. That'd be cool. Hundreds of years, if not thousands. If not millennia. If not, never ever going to happen. <laughs> if the earth lasts that long. Yeah. yeah, I don't think so. We may have already entered a timeline that New Eyes was not familiar with. Yeah, no, absolutely not. We may, we may already be on a different course. <laughs> but anyway... I like the way that they depict time travel in this movie because they kind of spin the earth till they reach their desired space time. And then it's like, ding, okay, it's ready now. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> like, here we are in the middle future. Yeah. Um, it rocked my world as a kid, no pun intended. And I, I just appreciated it looking back at it. Yeah, no, I can see that. But while we're on the subject of technology, we have to talk about something else that I was absolutely captivated by, and that was the Wish Radio. I was going to say the, the radio. Yeah, the Wish Radio. It's a Wish Radio. The Wish Radio, if you're unfamiliar, is a device that Captain New Eyes uses to tune in to the wishes of all of the children in the world. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are several stereotypical shifts in clothing of the kids, although they all speak English, weird, as <laughs> Captain New Eyes is giving the dinosaurs their marching orders and showing them these bubbles with images of children making their wishes. Yeah. Most of these kids, or a lot of them, <laughs> just so happen to wish to see a dinosaur in real life. <laughs> Convenient, right? Pretty convenient. Here on Wish Radio 93, we're doing all dinos all the I time. I know <laughs> that my biggest wish at that age would have been to see a dinosaur, but... I don't think it was mine either, but I mean, I can see kids wishing for that, I guess. They're learning about them. I can see a couple, but he was like, the, this is the the biggest wish I've ever heard, is like to mm -hmm. see dinosaurs. But also the wish to have friends, you know, there were well, several. Well, that was important. That were like, there were other ones that they had to weave they into They kind of combined the ideas because eventually the dinosaurs would fulfill both wishes by becoming friends with some of these kids. I want a Thanksgiving hat. I want a <laughs> Like, where did, why? I want a Thanksgiving hat. Well, that was the very last 
uh, thing that was wished as they closed out the scene. Yeah. And it was so funny to me because it was clearly just thrown in there because, long story short, but Cecilia throws her hat at when she decides to join Louis. And it falls, wafts down to the street level and yeah. onto the head of a little girl that's looking in the window at the same hat. And so, But it wasn't you know, even like a plot payoff, like nothing. It was, nope. it was just to- It was just a moment. It was just to show almost immediately that these wishes- are coming true. It was to show that Captain New Eyes is in the business of making kids' wishes come true. Yeah. Which is kind of cool because that's not what billionaires are in the business of today. <laughs> he true. seems rather wealthy. Hey, you so. know what? Mr. Amazon Pants said he was going to give away his wealth mm. in his lifetime. Did you see that recently? Uh, no, but I don't believe it. He and his girlfriend sat there on camera and they both said, uh, well, he said, I'm going to give away. Bezos? Yeah. Hmm. He was like, I'm going to give away my Jeffrey wealth. Bezos. And I wonder if that isn't just what he calls paying his employees. <laughs> well, he doesn't really do that either. Yeah, I know. So right? I he barely even does that. I'm going to give away my I did wealth. Read that I'm going to pay top, everybody who works for the me. The top three billionaires have more wealth than the bottom half of society now. Yeah. It's like official or something. I think I read that this mm -hmm. week. So yeah, yeah, do yeah. with that information what you will, listener. But um, Captain Nuez seems to be a benevolent. He just wants to give back. Rich man. But notice, notice, listener, that that is fictional. Ooh. Um, Mm. It's a dream, though. It's a dream. It's a wish. <laughs> I'm also pretty sure that at four years old, I, Kaylin, thought that this was how the Christian God saw me saying my prayers. Oh, wow. Yeah, he is like God. I imagined that my prayers and wishes floated up to God just like this wish radio. So this also bought in immediately. This does Checks work. Checks out. Makes total sense to You're me. You're right. Um, it's very allegorical. What a worldview to have at four years old. But I, that is what I believed, is that my little heart was wish, wishing stuff and it was floating up in bubbles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. <laughs> and, you know, most of those wishes weren't granted, so had to contend with that as I got older. He came off very Santa Claus to me, sure. too. Sure, yeah. This is like a futuristic Santa Claus. Yeah. Flying around in his ship without reindeer, <laughs> making dreams come true. I could see you sitting in your little fairy ring making wishes, uh -huh. saying prayers, and just uh -huh. hoping they all come true. That's me. Yeah. That's me. That's who I am as a person. I also love that this wish radio is pretty retro looking, all things considered. Truly is. It reminds me a lot of uh, like Disney's Tomorrowland right. or the Jetsons. Yep. Mm -hmm. There's something very, very charming to me about the imagined technology of the future, like what we think it will look like, but it was imagined, you know, in the past. It's weirdly, yeah, like anachronistic because they exactly. they put very things that are old school looking to us, but they made them futuristic. Exactly. Like Tomorrowland and Disney World before it got an update, you know, in the past decade or so. Right. Um, was very, very, very much 1970s, but it was 1970s future. Right. 1970s futuristic, which is so funny because all they could, all you could could imagine. conceive was the design elements and the art architecture and everything that was popular in the 1970s. Right, right. So I think that's fun. And I always like opportunities to see stuff like that. Just one like really relevant note on science fiction as a genre and why it's important is because it pushes us to try to achieve next level things that don't exist yet. Yes. It has always mm -hmm. pushed us for the past 200 years since science fiction has existed. We always say. Since Mary Shelley invented the genre. Since Mary, I was literally about to say, since Mary Shelley invented science fiction. It wasn't H.G. Wells. It wasn't Jules Verne. It wasn't any nope. of these guys. Mary it was Shelley. Mary Shelley. How old was she? She was like 16 17? when she wrote 16? it. 16? Yeah. A teenager. Yeah. Writing Frankenstein. Uh, in 1818, it was published. Mm-hmm. So for like a little over 200 years now, science fiction has always pushed us to achieve greater as human beings. Which is a really great example of how we talk about fiction influencing life at all. Yeah, exactly. 
that that is one of the most obvious ways that mm-hmm. life imitates art and that fiction yep. has benefited humanity. Absolutely. The arts matter, people. The arts matter. We love the arts. The arts matter. And also thinking about this kind of thing, I miss with all my heart working at Disney's, Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I already mentioned I worked at Laffler, but like mm-hmm. I got to work at the Carousel of Progress, which was the only attraction that Walt Disney ever saw at Disney World because he passed before Disney right. World was complete. Mm-hmm. But that was created for the World's Fair in 1964. Sure. So My dad saw that. Man, I just love the Carousel of Progress. When I got to work there, that was like the best. Very cool. And also the worst because people um, suck. But if people didn't suck, right. it would have been It amazing. wasn't for all the droves <laughs> of people who paid to be there. Yeah. Gotta hate those guys. <laughs> I hate crowds. I, I just, hate. I get, I still have dreams sometimes that there's an intrusion. That's when somebody walks out while the show's in progress, which oh, means yeah. the theater can't spin because the, if you don't know, listener, sorry, tangent, but the, speaking of technology, the theater of the Carousel of Progress actually rotates. It, right. The theater rotates around the, the stage. The seating is what spins, not the uh, Exactly. Stage. You are moving. It's not an illusion. Right. And so when people would leave in the middle of the show, you couldn't allow the ride to rotate until you ran around the entire building and made sure to escort those people away from the building. Yeah, it's terrible. So it was kind of a nightmare. But besides mm-hmm. that, super They fun. should fix that and make the stage spin just to fix it. <laughs> Just no, that's the whole point of it is that the whole technology was new and amazing. I know, and you I got know to get on the, the ride. I'm a Disney yada, yada. fan. I also didn't really have anywhere else to place it in my notes, but I have to say, beyond just the technology, the setting of the sparkling city of a pre 9 11 New York God, City, the towers, the bustling people, it reminded me so much of Oliver and Company. Yes, too, it did. When I was watching it, which had come out just My prior God. to this. I'm so impressed by any animation that captures cities like New York. So beautiful. There are me. so many details. You have to be just vague enough and obscure enough to like not, you can't animate everything. Mm-hmm. But the way that you handle it, like the choices you make, that's what yes. like really. That's going to influence the feeling. The, that's yeah. going to convey the feeling. Right. And it did to me. Pretty cool. To the point where, you know, I watched both of those movies so much that by the time I went to New York City for the first time, I was 12. Yeah. I felt like I had been there. Right. <laughs> because You're like, I know all this. Movies. This makes sense. I know what this feels like. Yeah. I want to go back. Me too. God. I love New York. And speaking of Oliver and Company, I feel like one of those girls, I think it may have been the girl that wanted the Thanksgiving hat, but I could be wrong about that. One of the girls in the Wish Bubbles looked exactly like Jenny from Oliver and Company. Yeah. To me. Lots of crossovers. 90s animation. There was also a weird thing that I noticed, which I never saw when I was a kid, but when the dinosaurs are kicked off of the ship in the sky and they land in the Hudson River, they knock Louie off of his very carefully crafted, like modern Tom Sawyer (laughs) sort of raft. And when they pull him out of the water, he's dragging the toaster with him where he was just making breakfast. And I just thought that was an odd choice. Like, why did you need to animate the toaster? Because Generally speaking, people associate toasters and water with, you know... Very bad. Yeah, no, I <laughs> didn't notice bad. he had the toaster with him. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't... I don't know if he was holding it or if it was like wrapped around, which is just why. That's dark. That's weird. For no reason. Yeah. To me. And he was using it to make breakfast, so it's not like it didn't have a power. Like, where was the power source? What are we working with? Did nobody get shocked here? Yeah, I don't know. Don't know. Weird. Yeah, where was his power source? I, it, where? So his whole little raft, everything felt very futuristic. Like, that could be a futuristic mm-hmm. thing, but it was 1990s New York City. Mm-hmm. It wasn't... It seemed like he cobbled it together. Like, he he's invented this. Yeah, but no kid would be able to live like that in the 1990s in New York City, like the harbor. Like, it would never... No, I mean, ra- you're not wrong. It never... Ha- anyway, <laughs> it's an animated movie from the 90s. It's a kid's movie. You are not wrong. Well, another thing that we've all already 
discussed a little bit. You don't know what I'm going <laughs> to... No. I titled this section, and you're not going to understand it because you haven't heard Taylor Swift's newest album, oh but the girls that get it, get it. I titled this section, Sexy Babies or Dinosaurs. <laughs> okay. It's a Taylor Swift lyric. It's about, you know, aging out of Hollywood and yada yada, but... Every day. I thought it was appropriate because we continued to notice the way that they forced the romance between oh Louis and Cecilia. Oh it was so cringy and weird. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like you said, you a lot of this movie made you uncomfortable, and I assumed that part of it was this Absolutely. forced romance between Louis and Cecilia. It was, yes. And also... The suggestive pterodactyl. There was a lot to be uncomfortable what? about like, in this movie. Why? There, it's, it the served moment, no purpose. No purpose. Again, it's a parental chuckle. That's what we get out of these things. But from the moment we meet Elsa the pterodactyl, she's rubbing up on Rex and trying to lay his eggs. That is almost a direct quote, listener. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> she he, said, he makes the way her that you're looking at me makes me want to lay eggs. It makes me want to um, lay an egg. <laughs> it's like, I oh want to have God. your child, basically. Mm -hmm. I don't get it. And I really don't know what to make of it, but during the parade, to a brontosaurus balloon, like an actual balloon that's part of the parade, Rex says, Good to see somebody of a similar persuasion, if you know what I mean. Put her there. Yeah. Sexual undertones, racial undertones. I don't know what that is. I was very confused. I don't know. Either giant dinosaur, big tailed dinosaur, big dicked dinosaur. <laughs> dinosaur at all. I don't know. Like he was very surprised at seeing another, I think it was just a large dinosaur. You are a dinosaur in New York. Yeah, but there were also three other dinosaurs just uh, just across the street. Mm -hmm. he, but he says a similar was, persuasion is me. It was just a comedic, I think I think he just meant a dinosaur. It was just a comedic moment, but like. I think he meant large why? features. I don't know what that means. I don't know. No idea. <laughs> No Kids idea. don't know what that means. Put her there. And like I said, I, oh my God, I have almost called Louis TJ like six times <laughs> just in this podcast. I'm actively fighting that instinct in my head, just so you know. Nice. But they go into his having a crush on Cecilia and not knowing what to do about it in that very stereotypical schoolyard boy way. Girls have cooties. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. While Cecilia is ever so much more mature <sighs> the way that they say all girls are because they don't hold boys and girls to the same standard. Nope. Cecilia knows exactly what to do and say, and she is very much about this romance. But she's also just doing what she's been socialized to do. Let's be real. I just don't get it. Like, you could have made them 16, 17 years old, and they're still children, but it's kind of more acceptable. I was going to say- They make her like she's nine years old. Yeah. They, she talks like a baby. Yes. Yeah, some of these things have them as young as seven. I don't think that's true. I couldn't find how old they're intended to be. I would say like 11 or so, I think maybe, he's but 10 or 11, 12, 13, maybe mm. at, at most, like at the oldest and at her oldest 11. Yeah. And it's unreal how sexual. But it's true of a lot is. of things in the 90s, like the way that they all the dinos ship these kids together. As a kid, I did, too, because I guess I just believe I believe that every great film needs an element of romance. I believed that since I was four years old, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> It's fine. So I get it's that. It's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But they definitely, they definitely over, overdo it, I would say. And then when he drops in on her balcony and asks her to run away with him to the circus, yeah. I got the Aladdin, Peter Pan kind of vibe. But mm -hmm. like you're saying, those characters are in their teens. They're at least like five to eight years older than They're these They're later guys. teens, yeah. So it doesn't feel as weird. And it was fun, but also watching this as a grown-up, kind of uncomfortable. It was weird. She wraps herself in his coat yeah and like she shrugs does. up against she gets into him his coat. and mm -hmm. it's like wh why 
Yeah. Why? Well, she was scared. <laughs> no, they were at the parade. Oh, yeah. That does happen at the and parade. And she was like, ooh, I like you too. Mm-hmm. Fluttery eyes. Mm-hmm. And he calls her, um, I said that earlier, he calls her big, big eyes. eyes. Come on, big eyes. You're killing me. <laughs> You're killing me. Like, yeah. Why is he talking and like he's like, like oh, a, that's cute. a 1940s noir detective? I know. Like, I know. The, he's a kid from New York. The dialogue is so <laughs> strange in this movie. Anyway. He's a, he's a New Yorker kid. That's how the New Yorker kids talk. That's not how New York kids talk. I can promise you Maybe that. they did in 1993. I don't think so. No. <laughs> and yet again, I'm ending this section with something that I couldn't figure out where else to put it. Put it there. But- one more note, if we're speaking in terms of dinosaur accuracy, yeah, it is pointed out on several different sites that Wook, who is a triceratops, and Dweeb, who is a, I'm going to say it right. A giant ducky. <laughs> a big ducky. Mm-hmm. Dweeb, who is a parasaurolophus. Okay. I'm going to try it again. <laughs> <laughs> Wook, who is a triceratops, and Dweeb, who is a parasaurolophus, were both herbivores. But when they first appear in the film, they are all eating hot dogs eating together. Hot dogs. And this was way before the time of Beyond Meat <laughs> and the Impossible Burger. I don't know. Those hot dogs could be so. made purely of vegetables because they're from the far future. They are from the far future. Maybe they are. We don't know. Maybe they are some sort of substitute. But, but we then do also see herbivores Rex, eating. Rex eats a hot dog too, so who knows? He does, but that doesn't mean – I mean, carnivores can eat uh, meat alternatives. <laughs> well, I guess they can. They may not actively choose to. I don't know how it works. No. How much do we actually know about I don't about think dinosaurs? a carnivore could eat a plant, but I think a carnivore could eat a plant-based protein. Cats eat plants. Right. <laughs> we don't... I understand that you're disproving my point. We don't, we don't know anything I about dinosaurs. Know. The thing is, we keep learning new things about dinosaurs, so what do we actually know? Because they lived... Millions of years ago? Millions of years ago. What do we actually we know? No We've idea. only been studying them for like... What did you say? Dinosaur Renaissance? Well, the dinosaur Renaissance, yeah. Late 60s when people were like, oh, maybe they're more like animals than we thought before. When was the? When did we realize that dinosaurs existed? How long have we known this? Oh, like, I don't know. Seven, 19th century? 70 years? 17th century? 100 years? Oh, more than that, probably. We've known about them for much longer, but I don't know how long we've like poured effort into researching them officially. I want to know. The Renaissance was just when people decided to be like, I think we can understand them better. Right. But speaking of understanding them better... Rex's three claws on his forearm are anatomically incorrect for a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Really? He should have two. I see. Older movies like Fantasia and the original King Kong make that mistake too and give their Tyrannosaurus Rex type creatures three fingers because intact T-Rex forearms had not been discovered yet. Idiots. But this changed in 1989 when complete forearm specimens began to enter the fossil record. And it had been a prominent theory for many decades before 89 hmm. that T-Rex had two claws, but... Freaking morons. <laughs> All of them. What are you going to do? God. Like you said, they have they lived a long, long time ago in a galaxy <laughs> far, far away from us, but I do love learning about them. And now they want to tell me that T-Rex had feathers? No. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. They, didn't they say that? Recently, I think. Something. They're just giant chickens. Hey, I was literally about to say, I maintain that T-Rexes are akin to chickens, so. No, they are. No, I mean, I think, well, that's the that's the going theory. Yeah. Chickens are terrifying. They're... I am so afraid of poultry. <laughs> well, there are so many more chickens than there are humans. So, I mean, <laughs> if they wanted to have oh a revolt, God. they could do it. So many creatures. There are more of, a, more of them than- Don't of... even get me started on the yeah. ants. No, I was literally about to say, ants, the world is 13% spiders. ants 
by volume. Yeah, no. Thanks, Travis. My friend Travis taught me that, but 13% ants by volume. Let's hope they never. The world. Uh, that is all ants, guys. Under your feet. Let's hope Whoa. ants never eat the grain, uh, brain grain, because they would. If ants rule ate brain grain, world. we would be in deep, deep trouble. They would do to us what the crows do to Dr. Screw Eyes. Oh, uh-huh. Professor Screw Eyes. Instantly. We would all dissipate. They would vaporize us. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. And let's get into Screw Eyes, shall we? I'm ready to talk about his eccentric circus. Professor Screw Eyes, more like Professor Screw Eye. <laughs> <laughs> Just the one, huh? Because there's only one. There's only one Screw Eye in his head. Also, why are these two completely related males? Why do they have two different last names? We'll get there. <laughs> First, I do want to talk about his circus. Okay, okay. And there's so much to say that I admit I do break these scenes down in a little bit more detail. Well, this is the best part. We should break this down. This is the best part. So we are we are here for it. Even just their trip through Central Park at night as darkness is falling makes it feel more like a darkly enchanted forest. And that had me on the edge of my seat as a kid. It did feel very Snow White. <laughs> Snow White. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're going into this, the depths of this... Deep forest. I mean, Central Park at night is nothing to uh, sniff at. No, it really isn't. It definitely isn't. But I did have to laugh at all of the desaturated folks that had piercings <laughs> and alternative hair because- Such stereotyping. I'm not afraid of those guys. No. I became those guys. Those are guys. our friends now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me now. Like, that's my crowd. Those people are not punks. They're cool. They're very cool. That's so funny. But it was just so funny to me that they were so scary to Louie and Cecilia when I'm like- what do you mean? That's who I am Such as a person. A juxtaposition. And I would totally have wanted to go and see Screw Eyes Eccentric Circus. Oh, absolutely. If I was given the opportunity. I want to go now. I'd go now. Same. Show Same. me the exact thing I'm afraid of. Absolutely. Cool. Let's see it. Because I don't know. <laughs> You're thinking of like Stephen King, it sort of parallels, right? Pro- yeah. Like, yeah. this is... Sure. Okay, we'll get to that. We're, we're going right, to go go roll ahead. into this scene and describe it just in case there are people that haven't seen it and need a little bit more context. So if you are unfamiliar, the kids go looking for the circus because they have always wanted to run away to the circus. So that's their goal. Right. But the dinosaurs are on a mission to go to the Museum of Natural History. That's where they're going to be in an exhibit and make all the wishes come true. Right. But obviously, when the dinosaurs meet the kids, the kids say, let's go to the circus. And the dinosaurs are cool with that. And then they get split up during the chaos of the parade. And the dinosaurs see a poster for Screw as Eccentric Circus because they know that the, cir- the circus. Right. Before then, they just know it as the circus. Yes. Is Screw as Circus and it's in Central Park. So they know these two are the because same Because they things. keep missing the late and blind Mrs. Bleep or whatever her name is. Dr. Bleep. And. Yeah, just behind them every time. She's from the Museum of Natural History. She's supposed to help them. Bleep. And then they do the, they see, they go, yeah, encounter the exact person they're supposed to avoid, Professor Screw Eyes. Literally prompting Rex to see the poster and say, wait, that's the bad guy. Because in the ship, Captain New Eyes says, this is my brother. He's lost. He's a dark soul, whatever. Avoid him. He's always up to his mischief. And they go and find the one person in the whole of New York City that they weren't supposed to find. 
at the circus because they have to follow the kids now. You know, they want to go and make sure the kids are okay. An entire world of people, <laughs> the person they're supposed to see and the person they're not supposed to see are in the same exact city. Go for figure. this world of billions of people. It is just the place where they were dropped off, though. It's a small world. So the kids do eventually find the circus in Central Park. It's all glowing and ghoulish with neon signs reading things like Labyrinth. Naughty Boy's Delight. Naughty Boy's Delight. They showed this sign repeatedly, y'all. Naughty Boy's Delight. It was featured heavily. And also House, House of, Sin. of Sin. If you're a regular listener, you know that I've always loved the circus lights and the neon and the carnival vibe and the midway. Love it. Think it's cool. But this also might be why I've always associated it with darker themes. Maybe so. Also, if you watched this movie as a kid, or even if you didn't and you're just hearing about it, write in and tell us what you thought Naughty Boy's Delight meant. <laughs> As a child, because I had no clue oh, watching it. <laughs> I was like, Naughty Boys, because I could read. I mean, I'd been, like, I read really early. I read really young. Yeah, you were having adult conversations at like two and a half. <laughs> I, uh, you would have hated me as a child. <laughs> I would have not liked you. But I don't, I know, I don't, obviously don't know what I would have thought of that as a kid. But I have a few ideas of what Naughty Boys Delight means now as an adult. Sure. And watching it, it was I was surprised to see that, to be honest. I was like, what's the purpose? Just, again, to make the adults laugh. But guess what? Some kids can also read, by the way. <laughs> it's not like you're spelling it out and they can't sound, you know, like. You know, they can't it's the spell. darndest thing. Kids do learn to read in school. <laughs> <laughs> they are teaching something. They are taught to read. Yeah. I don't know. It was I, Just sin. seeing that again, I was like, yeah, House of Sin it just really got to me. I was like, this I is. I did try to see what else was written out spelled out for us but those were the three i got too yeah so seeing that again i was like this is where our podcast belongs absolutely this is this is where we are meant to be no yeah we, we were watching it and you texted me and you were like okay now this yeah. is why <laughs> this movie belongs in our podcast i was like oh get it now i get it sure i get it because before that you were like what are you making me watch but in the first 15 20 minutes i was waiting for him to text me and be like what the this. And I kind of, I did. And he did. I did. I was like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> I thought the sadness and the darkness was going to come from the dinosaurs having to like go back to sleep, go bye-bye. Mm. You you die again. You go extinct again. Oh. I was pleasantly surprised to see a dark carnival. Yeah. I love a dark Not carnival. Not on your bingo card, I guess. No, certainly wasn't. For this movie. Certainly wasn't. And I didn't read this until I was an adult. Mm -hmm. But Ray Bradbury's mm -hmm. Something Wicked This Way Comes. This idea, the idea of like an amusement park or a carnival gone wrong or Something bad pops evil. up and it lures children The in. evil wiki or something like that. It's like the evil wiki fandom that talks about all things villainous and dark. Yeah. They talk a lot about that trope, the circus of fear. Yes, yes. And I love it. it's very prominent. But this was my introduction to that concept. Right. For sure. And we become aware that there's an even more ominous element to this place as Professor Screw-Eyes cons the children into signing a contract, yeah. which is invisible before they sign it, with the terms appearing only afterward to join his circus like they wanted. Mm -hmm. And they sign it literally in, in their own blood. blood. It's wild. They prick their fingers and sign this contract, touch a dot of blood to the paper, this moment was so strangely sickening to me as a child. It's horrifying. It's just the, I mean, Tom Sawyer, okay, like I understand the idea of like a blood pact and everything, but it feels so, so deeply. Like, it feels final. Dark and heavy. Final is the word. You're exactly it right. It feels like you, because you also would have known about the devil. I was. And mm -hmm. 
It's like signing your soul away, signing the devil's book. Mm -hmm. You just sold your soul to the devil. You sold your soul to the devil. It's that feeling. When you've done that, you cannot go to heaven. You cannot be saved. Mm -hmm. You are doomed. Yep. Yeah. And that concept terrifies me, terrified me. You would have understood that on a very deep level. At four years old, I absolutely did. Um, I understood very well what a blood covenant meant Mm -hmm. and the permanence and the finality of such a thing. Right. And not to mention that we had been, as children, force-fed for the previous 45 minutes that this is the bad guy. (laughs) Yeah. So you know, even though the kids don't know, they don't have that benefit, you as an audience member, as a child, know that this is the bad guy that they've just signed their soul away to in blood. Yep. That's pretty dark. Kids movie. It's rough. Um, He says, Among my many other rights under this contract, including copyrights on all their ideas, I've got an exclusive option on their willpower. Yeah. It's like... (laughs) The copyright on all of their ideas is what really messed me up the most. Because I was like, someone taking my ideas? No. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that would ruin you. (laughs) You'd not be okay with that. It happens all the time. (laughs) Well, they don't necessarily take them from you. It's just that you have similar ideas to other people (laughs) is more what's happening. I'll take Mike Flanagan to court. (laughs) Nobody has actually taken them from your brain as much as it may feel like they have. Right. Not yet. Not yet. And like I was saying with the dinosaurs, at some point in this sequence, you know, the kids have been separated and the dinosaurs do find them. And they find out that the kids have signed away their lives to the circus, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. The dinosaurs make it to the circus, not too far behind the kids, but they are too late to save them from themselves and the hypnotic screw eye of the professor. Right. Do we get into the uh, logistics of how that eye would work? Maybe a little bit. I want to hear your thoughts, but we'll get there. Okay. In contrast to the wish radio that Captain New Eyes uses, Professor Screw Eyes shows the kids his fright radio. Mm-hmm. And he explains that wishes are loud, but fears are even louder. This is a fright radio. It picks up what people are scared to death of. You see, I find out what they're frightened of on this radio, and that's what I try to give them with my circus. It's a public service. But this is the station that comes in the loudest of all. Wow. <laughs> I mean... Vomit. I love it and I hate it. It's beautiful and it's great and it's not that wrong. I mean... Oh, it's not wrong at all. It's entirely correct, which is why it hits so hard. The fear is always so much stronger. Well, I mean, then you look at like uh, Monsters, Inc. and they do the opposite. Mm -hmm. They go from fear to laughter. They go from fear to laughter. You're right. But, you know, there is something to be said for this element of like the fear emotion is so intense because it mm-hmm. actually is. And I think in real life, it is way Away more, from the magic uh, of the movies, fear is probably a stronger element than hope. Fear and all that kind of stuff takes, it really It hijacks of, your body. It hijacks your nervous system. I would know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything, really. Controls so much of what we do. I knew that you would appreciate this part, if nothing else. So I'm glad to hear that I wasn't totally off base with that. This is the part I took notes on. <laughs> <laughs> I would also like to note that the Fright Radio, same like mechanism as the Wish Radio, it's this retro-looking yeah. dial, yeah. and the levels on it go from nervous to paranoid to screaming Mimi. Yep, screaming Mimi. <laughs> and I can't say screaming Mimi without thinking of Hill House. Yeah, no. I just can't. But that's the highest setting. But I do really, really, really appreciate 
this whole wish radio versus the fear mm-hmm. radio. Fright this is radio. dreams versus nightmares. Definitely. They reference a dream theme mm-hmm. multiple times. They want to make dreams come true. Which we'll get to when he says, it's just a bad dream. You'll wake up tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So it is this very much dream versus nightmares thing. And like, I like that these two brothers are like, mm-hmm. they're two sides of the same coin. I have that exact phrase in my notes Boom. too. Well, I want to talk about their duality and the morality that's implied in okay. the next section. Got it. I have a whole conversation ready to go. Cool. But the fears of children that pour out of the radio, appearing like spirits themselves, they're very similar to some of the spirits we see in other films like Pagemaster. Yeah. And even Casper to a degree. But they're very ghostly in nature. They're not bubbles. They're not happy, floaty, dreaming things. And it looks like... They're fears. It looks like the ghost of dead children. Yeah. They're ghosts of what we fear most, I guess, is yeah the best way to describe it. But it, I remember mm-hmm. this scene so well. I remember every detail of this scene. My Kaylin child brain like sucked it all in yeah. very deep and kept this with me. Also, in contrast to New Eyes Brain Grain Cereal... Hmm. Screw Eyes presents the children with some glowing pills. Look like pills, like they do. medicine. Drugs. Drugs, which he calls the antidote. Brain drain. Brain drain. Brain drain is to reverse your knowledge and dumb you down to a primitive level. Plebeian. He presents the drugs in such a way that was very interesting to like my 2022 eyes. Yeah. Because it seems like there was a little bit of an anti-drug sentiment in here too. Just say no. Just say no. Because it's Dare. It, they make it very clear that these pills are bad. <laughs> yeah. They're glowing green, much like the caustic cocktail from Page Master. I was just gonna say it reminded me <laughs> so much of the Jekyll and Hyde scene. Yes. He absolutely does. Oh. Would you like a drink? I keep saying absolutely and I'm annoying myself with it, but stop. It it does. Because it, yeah, it has that like radiating like uh, chemical. Like radiation. It's radioactive. We've seen Dexter's lab. Sure. If it glows, it's bad. Mm-hmm. Bad news, bears. Get it out of here. It's caustic. caustic. We don't need that. Toxic. A toxic brain. And so this anti-drug sentiment was kind of was more prominent than I think I remembered or expected it to be because they did depict it as a very negative or bad thing. Yeah. And I also notice that even though we see him menacingly break the pill in half and offer the two kids like a temporary dose. Right. To show, to demonstrate what it does. Yeah. The moment where Louis and Cecilia actually take the pills was either cut. Right. Or it was never animated at all. We don't see them Though it feels more like it was intentionally cut to prevent kids from, you know, like repeating that behavior. Wanting to take a pill to see if they can turn into a monkey. A monkey. Right. They they intentionally don't show the children ingesting the pill. Right. And I'm glad in this case that the pretty darkness has some limits. (laughs) (laughs) But either way, it was still traumatizing to me and my child self to see what we do get to see, which is instead of popping pills, we see the kids' shadows contort and shrink and hunch down to resemble primates rather than, you know, homo sapiens standing upright. Right. And he explains... As he holds up these two monkeys dressed as Louis and Cecilia, that they'll be the wild children of Hell's a Poppin. Did you look up Hell's a Poppin? I didn't, did you? I did. Tell me about Hell's a Poppin, <laughs> because in my my head, it's just what he seems to be calling this cage exhibit where he wants to keep the kids. Well, I so I don't know the intention of their reference. It was a very obscure thing, but this was a very famous Broadway play, Once Upon a Time. Is it was an old musical. Dang, you're telling me about Broadway. Yeah, from Go like on. the 1940s. It was at the time the longest running Broadway show. Whoa. Until I'm sure like 
freaking cats or something like that. I have no idea. Was it about a zoo? <laughs> no, it was just a bunch of, I looked up a video, I'll send it to you. Like Hades Town? Look, guys, look up Hell's a Poppin'. I will. And then just like watch whatever the trailer is that pops up for it. It's not a trailer, but there was like a, there was a movie made based off of the, the oh, Broadway I'm musical. immediately going to find that. It's fun. It's fun as hell. So he threatens to do this unless their dinosaur friends agree to take the brain drain and join his circus in their place as the frightening monsters that they really are deep down inside. Right. He's got them right where he wants them. A regular old catch-22. It was always way, way too heavy for me emotionally as the dinosaurs each shed a tear and agree to save their friends. Like, I'll do it. Me too. Like it's it's sad. It's rough because they're you know they've given away their lives. Now the dinosaurs are going to give their lives to save Louis and Susie. Yeah, but you know what? These things were born evil. Like not evil. They were oh. they were born as dinosaurs. Oh, oh, oh. there's some bias in you. <laughs> take it. Take that away. I'm going to cut that out. They were born as animals. They were. They should. So you just think they're returning to their their original state? That's, there's just nothing lost there. They were never meant to be what they are right now. Is what they're you're never meant. To do what they're doing and talk and walk around New York City. Yeah. It just doesn't need to happen. But it's sad. It's not sad. You did, yeah. It caused chaos. It's not it's, sad. It is sad. Because they this went- This is a sad moment. They went round robin multiple times telling me what their names were over and over again. I don't care what your names are. And now you're all going to go around round, round all robin. All the kids that wanted to meet dinosaurs. they're going to tell me, do I'll care. do it. I'll do it too. I'll do it. Me too. I'll do it too. I'll do it too. Yeah, it's sad. I'm like, just do it already. Stop talking about no, it. No, no. It makes me sad. And Rex gently strokes their sleeping shoulder with his incorrectly anthropomorphized claw. And my heart just breaks into pieces. Christian's doesn't, but mine does. No. It didn't do it for me this time. <laughs> that hurts me. It still hurts. But I think it's also because I remember feeling that emotion right. at four years Look, old. Look, this is no land before time. Oh, no, it's not. I'm not saying that it is. Haven't compared it so far. I will shed to. my tears for Littlefoot. When we get to <laughs> land before time. All right. Mm-hmm. God. And the tree stars. Oh, my God. So we get a brief break from the darkness as the kids awaken the next day to eat pancakes on the floor. Hey, All dogs go to heaven style. It's a good Saturday. Provided by a disgruntled circus clown named Mr. Stubbs. Yeah. Who looks eerily similar to Mr. Snoops from Disney's The Rescuers. Do you know The Rescuers? I do and I don't. There's a clown in that that looks very much like this. I don't recall the clown. God, I love The Rescuers. I watched The Rescuers a lot, specifically The Rescuers Down Under. I think we've mentioned it before, but... Right. Loved it. And I've never been afraid of clowns. And other than Ronald McDonald, bearer of the chicken nuggets, Stubbs was one of my earlier introductions to the clown. So I guess thanks to Martin Short, that's not a fear that plagues me. Many fears do. Yeah, no, I'm not afraid of clowns at all. The kids talk Stubbs into showing them where their friends have gone. And they end up joining in on that evening's show dressed as demons to blend in. Right. This gives major double, double, toll in trouble vibes. Does it? They dress as the evil thing to get gain entry to the place they need to be. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do the same thing. But there's a reveal of the dinosaurs, and they are now their, let's just say, less than loving selves, chained up, and very, very angry. <laughs> <laughs> they are the prehistoric version of the dinosaurs that we saw at the beginning of the film, which are scary. It's what dinosaurs should be. <laughs> If that's not what they want to be in their heart... That's not true. ...then I disagree. So the circus begins and Screw-Eyes welcomes his pierced and tattooed audience to the most frightening night of their lives. Welcome to the most terrifying show on the planet Earth! And we get a ton of pyro and holograms and music and special effects. And like we said before, this is now in my notes, 
I can't help but think this was a complete missed opportunity for a musical number. Oh, agreed. And I know they really never even intended to have the other musical number in this movie. That was added at the last minute. Right. But like, like we said, friends on the other side, playing with the big boys now. Or even freaking, um, oh my God, score. Be prepared. Yeah. Be prepared. Be prepared. This could have been a contender. Could have been good. I, I love a good villain song. This could have been up there, but no musical number, unfortunately. Nope. But I, I still remembered this whole scene very vividly, down to the hooded skeletons that are very dark. Like, when you think about it, it seems like they're hanging from the rafters. Yeah. But one loses his mask at one point, kind of comically, like, shows you that he's a human under there. Yeah. Which is just to remind us kids that we're safe. Right. Right. <laughs> During the show, to prove that he is indeed the master of fear, which is what he's trying to accomplish, mm-hmm. Professor Screw Eyes uses his screw eye to hypnotize this terrifying Rex monster. Yes, he does. Were you going to say something about the mechanics of the hypnosis? Because hypnosis was another one of those things. I accepted it as a kid without hesitation. Hypnosis was very common. I get it. We saw that in a lot of Looney Tunes stuff. Yeah. So we just sort of accepted it. But the story is he went mad because he lost his eye. He lost his eye. We don't learn how, Mm -mm. right? That's the only thing that is said about it is when New Eyes is introducing the character to the dinosaurs, he says. Yeah. And so he's replaced his missing eye with a screw, supposedly, yes. which we see later. Painful. But it would have to screw into his skull or something or just, I guess he just popped it fit in there. into the eye socket, which it would just pop out all the time. We've seen Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also he's able to use the screw to hypnotize literally anything and anyone mm-hmm. that has a soul or a brain or an eye. Mm-hmm. To look into it, drove him mad, and then now he uses it to hypnotize others. So, is it like a magic? Do you think screw? the screw drove him mad? I guess, or did losing his eye drive him mad? I guess both. I don't know. I just wouldn't have replaced it with a screw if it were me. No, for sure. Not. I can think of m- many better things to put in my eye socket. Maybe not many, but at least two or three. <laughs> I can't think of anything good at all that I would put into my eye socket. Not a screw. Anything a screw but a would screw, be a, really. among the worst things, I think. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, my God. But he must have seen... Know. That must be it. Like, we need a Professor Screw-Eyes prequel, a backstory. We yeah, to, oh, I would love We need love to see that. how he lost his eye. I would and love to know. why he was enticed to replace it with a screw. Mm-hmm. A magical screw he that. discovered in his journeys, mm-hmm. his travels. And where did he find the magical screw? And why... Is he accompanied by a murder of crows Mm -hmm. that we find out actually call the shots and he is Mm -hmm. actually afraid of the crows. But I think that's kind of, yeah, we we, will talk about his fear and his psyche. Okay. But I do think that that's part of it. Like he commands these creatures as an act of bravado when really ultimately he's afraid of everything. He's trying to become the master of fear because he's afraid. Exactly. That's the mm-hmm. undertone. That's the whole story. That's the underlying message that I think is missed if you're not paying attention. But and we're almost there. Okay. To, to I want to get I want to talk more about that actually, but let's just say for now that this hypnosis doesn't go well for Screw Eyes. No. <laughs> in my mind, you play with fire, you're gonna get burned. You you chain up a dinosaur uh, in his dinosaur mind, and then you unchain him and expect mm. him not to eat you. I was waiting for the not chomp. a good bet. <laughs> <laughs> But at one point, Louis even screams, he's going to kill the professor, which, damn, that's pretty dark. Yeah. Because he almost did. 
There was a moment there. He delayed. And I wasn't so sure. He delayed for a long time. And one last note about the circus itself. I thought that I was seeing things, but there are some trivia sites that confirm that the design on the main stage of the circus, the the center ring, I guess, Mm -hmm. it alternates between a pentagram and like a more generic series of triangles, like lasers and the design that it makes. I saw it. Because I was like, that looks like a pentagram. And then the next time I saw it, it wasn't. I was like, okay, I guess it wasn't. I saw the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Yeah, they went for it. Satanic. They really went for it. But honestly, the saddest part of the circus to me now might just be like the mindless elephant Mm. (laughs) zombies marching in. Like that's depressing on a whole nother level. Yeah, but that's because of Dumbo. That is because of Dumbo. We were- And water for elephants. Yeah, elephants broke our heart. I love a good elephant story, but not pink elephants on parade. No, but I do love the <laughs> elephant that killed that woman and then went to her funeral oh. and trashed her funeral. <laughs> that was like a pretty recent news story, huh? Like <laughs> there was literally, we may have even talked about it on the show before because it's so bizarre. I think we may have. Yeah, I know you, you brought he it up. He had it out. That elephant had it out for that woman. She I don't know what she did. did something to that elephant. That's all I know. That elephants don't forget. We elephants do know that never much. forget. I learned that. From the wild thornberries. Hey, (laughs) Eliza taught you that, did she? Mostly Darwin. So now I just want to dig in a little bit to the idea of morality as it's presented in the movie. We have this very Jekyll and Hyde, dark and light duality. And so I just want to dive into it a little bit. Let's dive. The overarching theme of this film is (laughs) honestly kind of tough to pin down. But we have quite a lot of references to distill it very much, basically saying how senseless violence and anger and bravado weaken our society. Mm -hmm. And that the root of these things, these behaviors, is usually fear. Yeah. Rex explains very early on in the movie that he started off, quoting, stupid and violent. And that theme carries through this movie. And hungry. Hungry all the time. All the time. (laughs) I might be being too generous, but it is... True. I mean, the root of those behaviors is fear, and it's not something that's talked about, especially not very often in kids' movies. We've talked about this before on the podcast, even with like the tale of the dark music, Mm -hmm. about where you know this toxic masculinity, this this. anger, Mm -hmm. how typically men tend to use their fear. Yeah, we got into it a good bit to justify anger and brutality and very true, quote unquote, evil. We also get a huge helping of. The same knowledge is power idea that was Hmm. just beginning to kind of color the edges of 90s media. Right. And this is through a completely different lens because the whole like eat your Wheaties idea was taken to a new extreme. (laughs) Eat your brain Because brain 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 brain. cereal is literally force fed to these guys. Yeah. In order to provide the knowledge of good and evil, essentially. Mm -hmm. They're eating the apple. Mm -hmm. That's true. Wow. Mm -hmm. Damn. Mm -hmm. All right. There apparently is a deleted scene. I didn't write this down, but I did read about it. There's a deleted scene where they're force feeding them. I don't remember if it was brain grain or brain drain, but there was a another force feeding scene that they cut out because it was too much. And I was like, it was pretty intense the first time. Seems like brain drain. <laughs> they, they shove the nozzle in there and make it happen. So yeah, it may have been the brain drain, but my God, I think that was like the moment, like we don't see the dinosaurs take it. We don't see the dinosaurs transform. Right. We just reveal when they're... They've been drained. Yeah. But as we're talking about good and evil, Mm -hmm. this film doesn't even try to be subtle. 
<laughs> no. We keep coming upon this. The protagonist and the antagonist, although, you know, we have the protagonist as the kids and the dinosaurs, et cetera. But it's right. at the core of it, this feels like a rivalry between Captain New Eyes and Professor Screw Eyes. Yeah. They are ultra polarizing. They're opposites in every way down to the rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And like you too. said, there's a Jekyll and Hyde vibe happening here. Mm-hmm. It's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Absolutely. Two sides of the same coin. There it is. We've got the brain drain, the brain grain. We've got even... I thought this was interesting. You know, the light versus the dark. We've got a museum versus a carnival. Right. Are they trying to make a make a statement like educational versus frivolous? <laughs> I hope that's <laughs> not the case. I think they were- I hope not either. I'm hoping they just went, what's the most obvious structural example of like knowledge? Well, a museum. What's the most obvious structural like uh, representation of some sort mm-hmm. of fear yeah, no, or danger or mystery or the unknown. I'm, I think I'm you're right. Hoping. It's just, it's an interesting thought. You're, you're it's right, very interesting. But I'm hoping. And I played with it in my head a little bit too, because I was like, Captain Screw Eyes, Professor New Eyes. I was like, does that work? That's, Could it ever? I know it. that's flipped. I know I flipped it. That's what oh, I'm saying. Got it, got it. I played with it in my head. Like, is Captain, does that sound inherently more heroic than Professor? professor? Because Professor is heroic in a lot of other contexts. Because I would say Professor is way more enlightening. Captain is more of the rugged. Exactly. You're right. So I just wondered. I was like, what was the purpose of that? But Captain, like superhero vibe. Sure. But I did. I just, I twisted it around just curious. It, it is interesting because, you know, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, they went with Doc, well, he, mm-hmm. Louis Stevenson, went with yes. Doctor versus Mr. But Doctor is still enlightened. Professor is enlightened. Professor is enlightened. So I don't know. That is right. Professor screw eyes. They also invented these. Uh, <laughs> Equal but opposite radios. Yes. The wish radio versus the fright radio that look identical. They each have three options, like past, mm-hmm. middle, future, far future yeah. versus what is All it? All of the dials in this movie have three options. Yeah, three. It's- Whatever. Paranoid, <laughs> screaming memes. Yep. So funny. It's interesting to me that even the dinosaurs are viewed through these independent lenses of these brothers. One sees them as inherently ferocious, Mm -hmm. and that's the man who desires to scare kids and ruin their childhood. (laughs) And then we have the other man who wants to make dreams come true and to fulfill, you know, wishes and every heart's desire. And he sees these dinosaurs as kind and intelligent, and he wants these creatures that everybody loves so much to be the creatures that everybody loves so much. Yeah. And they each want to use the dinosaurs for those purposes, but just completely for different reasons. At at what point can I vouch for Professor Screw Eyes and take his side? (laughs) I assumed that you would identify, no offense, with Professor Screw Eyes. No, you're the one saying he wants to ruin childhoods. I think that's false. Not that you want to ruin childhoods. I don't think he does either. That's false. Completely. He wants to under, help them understand. There's an incredible number of people who love horror. No, you're right. And try to write horror. DJ McHale. Mm-hmm. We have R.L. Stein. Mm-hmm. Stephen King. Incredible, phenomenal thinking people. Shirley I mean, Jackson. Shirley Jackson. I didn't mean to leave out the women. Sorry. <laughs> Shirley Jackson and Mary Shelley and everybody who wants to no, write totally these right. horrific it's things. It's not necessarily that I think he wants to ruin childhood. So that's just like... Stuff like the general opinion online seems to be that people think that way. But I you're right. I mean, people are they they don't know how to see the gray. Yeah, I think that they want to call him a villain because they're looking at this as an animated '90s movie, and Disney is good versus evil, and this is not Disney. Yeah, but they're looking at it binary thinking. It's binary, and so mm-hmm. I think, and this may not fit here in this discussion. No, no, I think it does. But with the duality, of these two brothers. 
who have two different last names. Somehow. Somehow. I think not that brothers can't have different last names, but, but like, was his name Screw Eyes before he found the Screw Eye? You know, like <laughs> maybe <laughs> I think he, he he adopted that identity. He adopted a new identity. Uh, maybe in the future you choose your own name. Which wow, what a thought! Mm. I think he had very very pure good intentions. I think he is an mm. afraid person mm. who loves fear. He likes to be he he's afraid, but he's found his his identity in that fear, in the fear. like you and mm-hmm. I have. We have. And I know for sure I have, because I know that I realized that 10 years ago mm-hmm. when I wanted to be a writer and I went, what do I want to write? Well, you know, I like this you stuff. what you're afraid of. I like this weird stuff that's kind of scary. I think he started off with very pure intentions of really trying to capture what people are most afraid of and to achieve this like higher level of fear or fright mm-hmm. and feed it to them through entertainment, which it is a carnival. It is a circus. Mm-hmm. That's the purpose it serves, and there's nothing wrong with that yeah. at all. No, I agree. People I fully love agree. this stuff. I have no problem whatsoever with the circus and exploring your fears. Clearly, like if you if you know me, if you've listened to the show, right? I have no issue with that. The part that I have issue with is, is taking advantage of children. The same part that I have a problem with. To right. you know, I think fulfill he, your dream or your desire or your your money status, you know, whatever it is that he's getting from this yeah. experience. I think he lost his way. I, yeah. I'm just saying I think and he began. now he cares about the bottom line and he knows how much well, he can make off of these monsters. I think it's harder than he thought it was Because that's what he says is be. like everybody's biggest fear. Yeah. I think, that it was, I think it was harder than he thought it was going to be. And no matter how much fear and, and entertainment he created over the years, he continued to be afraid. It didn't cure what ailed him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he, and then he got desperate. It was a, it was a black hole. Yes, it sucked he kept him trying in. to fill this void. He didn't fill the void. Yeah, because he didn't do it the right way or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. you know reason you want to fit in here. And so I think he did lose his way eventually, to the point where he is willing to basically you know buy the souls of these children. You know, it, it doesn't mm-hmm. end up in a good spot, but. I think he meant well. I think he's very human. Yeah. I just think he's human. No, I, I don't think I he's agree. this evil. I think he's very, very human. I don't know, you know, that he can be rightfully. He he technically is a villain, mm-hmm. but I don't think he is a pure villain. He's he's more human than a lot of villains we see. Yes, yes. Which may be part of the reason that I love this movie so much. I don't want to give four year old Kalen too much credit, <laughs> but I saw something in this. Yeah. That I identified with or appreciated. Yes. It, Otherwise, it I wouldn't have kept watching it. It resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just, you know, Rex. And I didn't identify with Captain New Eyes. I can say no, that for much. sure not. <laughs> so it's like yeah. I, I had something in this darkness that I yeah. wanted to explore. I just, and you know. Now I'm 30 and have a podcast. I about just it. <laughs> wanted to voice that this guy is not a black and white yeah. villain. He's not like. I appreciate that. I'm right there with you. He's just not. I agree. We've seen much more. They try to cast it in a dark, light, good, evil, binary way. Right. However, they leave us with a little bit of questioning yeah. about Screw Eyes and his intention. He's an antagonist, but he's not the bad guy. He's not a villain. Ultimately. Spoiler alert, Louis gets through to this violent prehistoric Rex and by extension the rest of the dinosaurs with a heartfelt plea for him to return to his kind and loving sensibilities. Yep. I swear I almost called him TJ again. (laughs) Louis says, Don't ruin everything because you're mad or or scared or something. I know I act like I'm the original tough guy, but that's because I'm scared too. (laughs) Yeah, I did appreciate that. You know, Bowing up to fight these desaturated people on CC's behalf and like yeah. 
the whole time he's like, why I oughta, like, you know, right. he's he's leading with anger too. He's leading with violence too. Sure. And so I think that's the point is kind of showing that even he is turning his thinking upside down and saying, you know, yeah. it's all an act. He's, essentially, he's which learning for too. all of us. It is. He's he's learning. Right. And he he tells Rex, and you are the original tough guy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't just be another slob spoiling the way the world can be. Yeah, right. I appreciated that. And I really, I liked it too. I really did. That's some far future wisdom coming through. <laughs> far future. You're right. I'm going to insert here that one of the first things that I was struck by visually about this movie yeah. were all of the reflections. There were a lot. Yeah. Hubcaps, Rex's glasses, every surface, the, the river, the Hudson River reflecting the city. Screw Eyes' eye. Screw Eyes' eye. <laughs> Eventually. Every single surface that would even be a tiny bit reflective in life is animated to be very reflective. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure why, but it is interesting to me, like we said before, and I tended to forget about it as a kid completely, but the whole story is actually being told as a reflection by Rex right. to a kid, a bird, who seems to want a little too much <laughs> independence. <laughs> yeah. So he's reflecting on his life and this time in New York City. But it's all shiny and shimmery, and we see both sides. We see this reflection, this mirror yeah. idea visually over and over and over. And I know right now I have to be giving them too much credit for that, but I thought it was cool watching it back. I wondered my first time watching if that wasn't just a story he made up mm. or if that wasn't like his actual story. Origin story. I assume now that it was only done to basically lessen the like intensity or finality of seeing the dinosaurs that you now care about being completely brain drained. Yeah, maybe. Because we know, if we think about it, where he ends up. We know this wasn't permanent because we saw him at the beginning of the movie and he was playing golf. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I don't know. Other movies did it yeah. without promising us a happy ending. It's true. You're right. All of them, almost. Almost. <laughs> but once their brains are restored... Captain New Eyes joins the party, and I ask, where have you been this whole time, my guy? Like, where yeah. <laughs> where in space were you floating around that you couldn't intervene before now? But he notes that he showed up because he heard a very general wish from Cecilia. She says it whenever Rex acts like he's about to eat Professor I'm going to hear this phrase for the rest of my life. Cecilia now. says, Oh, please, don't let that happen. That's her wish, which that was my prayer and mantra for the next several years of my life after I watch this. Sure. Always, really. Sure. And it goes back to that idea of the Christian God, like hoping he was hearing, let no bad happen. Whatever, because my imagination can go a million miles an hour. And I would ask specifically, please don't let this happen or that happen or that happen. Yep. But sometimes I would get tired and I would just say, please don't let anything bad happen. <laughs> I would do that too. And it seems like that's what Cecilia is doing. But a lot of the moral of this story comes back to the fact that you don't have to act all tough and mean. And fear is what's at the core of those feelings. Yep. And it also goes to show the links that fearful and lonely people will go to in order to feel like they have some control or belonging. Right. Like who among us, all of us have lashed out sometimes in an attempt to control a situation or feel more or to try to feel like we belong more. Yeah. No, in a sure. moment. More secure. Yeah. Any situation that's made us uncomfortable or caused us pain, we want to feel more secure. Right. And I think you're right. I think that's exactly what's happening mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but like we keep alluding to rather than be killed in some triumphant way the heroes show mercy as i think true heroes should right and they instead choose to simply leave professor screw eyes 
alone with his thoughts and his ruined circus and his murder of crows, Hmm. which is definitely punishment enough. The way that he was vaporized by the crows is nonsensical. It is. But it it haunted me. It gets so empty. It haunted me. As the crows descend on him, it gets empty. It gets hollow. Mm -hmm. And Screw Eyes says, Brother, brother, wait. When I am alone, when I have no one to scare, I get very frightened myself. Mm-hmm. Which is the core of it. Yes. And you can say what you want about the dialogue for this film, but I love that line. <laughs> That's a good line. It's a great line. I really love it. The crow's good. <gasps> and that's it. Uh-huh. And they descend. And there's nothing left but the screw. He vaporizes, I guess. Yeah. yeah, that's the best way I could put it. It's so intense. There's a website called the AV Club, yeah. and they ranked... Screw Eyes Devouring by the Crows mm-hmm. as the 19th most terrifying moment in children's entertainment. It's up there. By the way. So. It is up there. <laughs> I think so. But the film has to close out with a touch of whimsy. And it's presented a bit strangely, having the dinosaurs work at an exhibit in the Museum of Natural History. Right, right. And they only come to life when the kids are kept behind and the parents are instructed to wait outside. <laughs> and I don't know if it's just like my 2022 I self would, seeing that. Yeah, no, I would But I don't like it. that. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Like the parents will no. wait outside, and once it's just you and the children once alone, you'll the kids reveal the-, uh-huh. the the what the magic or whatever. I was like, oh. I didn't want to go there with it, but I was like, why do you have to? Like, I understand the whole film. You know, I understand the reasoning because we're seeing kids that are delighting at the dinosaurs being real the and are adults afraid. being terrifying. Adults are scared, because yeah. you know, adults are smarter than kids <laughs> in some cases. I <laughs> Rightfully should say. so. But you know, they they know enough to run away from. A dinosaur. We will make the parents wait outside. Yeah. I just didn't love that. And when you're alone. But And they also, they put a bow on Louis and Cecilia's romance by showing us a scrapbook montage of how they're quite the little couple now, they say. Well, yeah. And they also toss in a real quick line, and they made up with their parents. Yeah. It's like, Wink. oh, it's also important. <laughs> That's fixed. No problem. You know, they don't care where their kids went for this period of time. Oh, no. Totally fine. They had no idea. It was chaotic. It was strange. Weird. But this movie was also surprisingly wholesome compared to what I remember of it because the darkness is what held my held in my mind. Right. So it was more wholesome than I expected it to be. Yeah. And kind of more silly and whimsical. Sure. And it also may be part, who knows, of why I've never had the bully urge. I've never wanted to be mean. I've never wanted to inflict fear on somebody intentionally. Really ever. That is not my MO. That is not my game. Right. And it may be in part because I carried the wisdom of this movie. Oh. Don't know. You might be the only kid. But I know where the anger comes from. I know and have known from a very young age that anger in most cases or a lot of cases comes from fear. Yep. And in the end, we are also beaten over the head with the message, love sets us free. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Love sets the dinosaurs free. It's the greatest force on earth unless you're 10 and it's a kiss from a cute girl. <laughs> <laughs> and in that case, ew. Don't want it. I don't understand. When she kissed him, it was gross. And when she told him that he should kiss her, it was cool. I don't get the... Yeah. I don't understand. They're both just trying to figure out how they feel, honestly. I think well, it's because just they're they like don't know what seven years old. Yeah, they're little. They're kids. They shouldn't be kissing. They don't know what to do with this. <laughs> it's so weird. I don't either. So... <laughs> but that's where we're back. That's where we're back. Oh, and also the little birdie. 
learns that it's cool to be hugged on by your mom. Oh, he does. Yeah. Rex, they go back to the bird. They have Despite to back all the way out to that. your siblings giving you a hard time. Yep. And they're just giving you a hard time because they're jealous of the motherly love the, that your, you're getting. Mm-hmm, the attention that you're getting. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it is. And that's, and that's the way it is. I can't even do it. And that's the way it is. That's the way it was. Mm-hmm. And that's the way. Uh-huh. 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 I like, I like it. it. Uh-huh. I have one more tiny fun fact to close this out, and I just want to leave listeners with this. I so, guess. I guess. Go ahead. You ready? Sure. Whatever. I'm going to go dark in a different way. Hmm. Let's do it. To promote the release of We're Back, a giant helium balloon of Rex the T-Rex was included in the real-life 1993 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Okay. In New York. All right. I like the facial expressions you're making. <laughs> Unfortunately... High winds caught the balloon and floated it over a nearby sidewalk, where the head of the Rex balloon struck a streetlight and popped. Yeah. And the rest of the dinosaur's body remained inflated until the end of the parade. Oh my God! <laughs> Wait, was it a headless T-Rex? A headless dinosaur. Why didn't they You're just welcome. pull it to the side? Don't know. Oh my God! <laughs> what? I just wanted to leave you with that visual. That's it's insane. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. Of course, I was not there, so I can't confirm, but I did read it on the internet. Oh, well, then it must be true. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's We're Back. <laughs> we're that not we're back. back. We're done. We're done with We're Back. With this episode, mm-hmm. a podcaster story. <laughs> we're, we're done. Wow. Well, that was fun. What a time. That was, that was better than watching the movie itself. I'm really glad you feel that way, because after you watched the movie, I was a little bit worried. No, I'm always <laughs> glad for the content. I'm glad. Look. We can talk about it. I can shit on it for three hours. Sure, sure. That's fine. That's a, that's a fun time. And a lot time. of people do shit on this movie, but and they should. I think it has redeeming qualities. Hopefully we've brought some no, to your there, attention today. there are some. Like, when I was watching it earlier today, I got past all the Manhattan stuff, and I got to Central mm-hmm. Park, and I was like, oh, finally. Yeah. I can watch this part. <laughs> now it's fine. I've, I've always been curious how you would feel about Screw Wives, so I'm glad we got to talk about that. I like him. I, I do wish it had more of that Disney flair. Mm-hmm. That, you know. A song, perhaps? Well, not even a song. I don't care about that. But I like, want a song. A true villain. You know, scary mm-hmm. villain. But again, like I said, he's kind of all of us in a way. He was very human. And Screw Wives is all of I us. I appreciate that on a deeper level than I would just a pure scary villain. Same. He is the only villain I can think of that, well, he was driven by fear, but in a way where he was so visibly afraid, mm-hmm. even early. Most villains try to conceal that. He was very afraid of the of the dinosaurs, of the crows, when you watch him closely, mm-hmm. but most other villains tend to kind of keep it under wraps, you're right. Mm-hmm. I respect him, but I would, yeah. have, I would have liked a much more iconic villain, Screw Eyes. You would like Screw Eyes, the professor's story. Oh my God. That'd be a good movie. Don't call us. Steven, we'll call you. You can call us. <laughs> Just kidding. Please call us. Steven, you're leaving money on the table. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, all that money that you made off, off of We're Back. Don't you want to do that again? There's money to be made here, man. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So that's that. That's that. That's We're Back. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. Yeah, we really appreciate it. That was some great research. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for bringing that to our ears. I was excited to do it. Mm-hmm. This was a fun one. Yeah. Hope you like it, listener. Let us know. Go leave a, a rating if if you liked it specifically. Yeah. Go leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you happen to be listening. We would appreciate it. Because if you're the one person who's given us a one-star review, <laughs> why? Why even do that? I think it just legitimizes us, you know? Just 
just don't listen to the show. It's true, though. I've never really understood that. Reviewing anything. Unless it's like a Go really... Go out like, of your way. Don't get your oil change. Oil change. I can say that <laughs> and give them a one-star review because of a terrible experience. But if it's media, if it's a, a movie or a show, if you didn't like it, just move on. It's true. Doesn't hurt anybody. That's true. Mm-hmm. I don't play that game. No, I don't care enough. Speaking of games. Speaking of games. We're going to close out Are You Afraid of the Dark very soon. Ooh, yeah, we will. The Tale of the Pinball Wizard. You said it. <laughs> That's what's happening next. <laughs> but we're going to leave our Christmas episode a secret. Mm, so you'll secret have to wait to find Christmas out. Mm-hmm. I got big ideas up in this noggin. I know what they are. Just big ideas and gin currently. <laughs> well, thanks for playing, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you guys next time. We appreciate time. you. Reach out on Instagram, email. We'd love to talk to Keep you. Keep it spooky. Keep it pretty dark. Keep it pretty dark. Eat your brain grain. Eat your brain grain. Miss the opportunity for the ad. Yep. Yum. Yum, yum. Delicious and nutritious. <laughs> That's what I call lunch. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark. Written and produced by Christian Baxter Mott and Kaylin Andrews. Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration. Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, you're never really alone. So, until next time, sweet dreams, everyone. Bleeb. 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 Bleeb.